Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mega Talks TV. I am Lee. I am here. I'm joined by Spencer. Spencer, say hey to people. Hey, everybody. We are on season two of Succession. You are starting to get into the season two that I have been texting you about furiously since it debuted in <laughs> August. We are in episode two. It is ominously called Valter. The end of our mm -hmm. last episode, you were super excited about the name Spencer. What would you think? This one was good. This one was solid. This one... <laughs> It was great for a lot of different ways, in part because it was really character-focused and really involved a lot of moments of you clearly seeing where characters are having to grow or change or have their art clearly laid out before them. So yeah, this was important and it was fun to watch. Completely agree. I was excited about the name, too, when I saw it. Um, anything you want to plug with Mangum Reads before we get started? Uh, well, we are return. We are hopefully this week returning to pottering around to go through the first chapter of the Chamber of Secrets, which I know not a thing about. I'm pretty sure I didn't watch any of that movie, or at least I have no memory of it. Uh, pretty much all I know about it is that it's a great title, but I'm eager to get started with that. Uh, for short stories, we went through an Alice Munro short story called Dimension that we all quite enjoyed, and that we hope you will enjoy too. When you read it, won't listen to us talk about it. So yeah, going strong. Awesome. And whiskey on the weekends, we have our annual uh new year's party where everybody who is on this podcast channel has been on this podcast channel all can uh, converges on a north carolina uh we have a way too many whiskeys lined up to taste so god knows how many episodes we'll get out of that <laughs> three or four day period but it'll be a lot so so check for that early january can i offer to chip in some money for you to buy a bottle of that cognac infused whiskey just for bj oh the uh the french stuff yeah, that, that one. That, yeah, because so for those that maybe didn't listen to that episode, we did a, a live episode over New Year's last year where BJ brought a hundred and I think twenty or thirty proof whiskey. Um, maybe it was even higher than that. That was aged, I think, in cognac barrels. It was French, mm. and we all got schnockered. And the end mm. of that damn episode didn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> so sorry if you went through the whole thing. Sorry about that. We'll try to keep it together a little better this year. We say this now, but with the sheer amount of alcohol that you prepared, with the various varieties of cocktails that apparently we also be made out by Sarah, we're all going to die. Uh, it'll be so much fun. Mm. Uh, okay, getting into, we're going to do the recap first, uh, then we'll get our segments. We have Spencer's relationship advice of the episode. Spencer, you've been uh, hesitant on that. I want you to keep doing it, especially <laughs> on this episode. <laughs> Especially. Uh, then we oh. have Roman line of the episode, and then we award Roy of the episode. That's the um, member of House Roy who has the best episode. So, you want to get in the recap? Let's get going. Cool. So, we start with a lot. And, I mean, the name would tell you that we're going to get some Lawrence time, some Valter time. And the, the flashback on the previously on, um, it showed this scene with Kendall, and it sparked something in my mind I wanted to point it out to you, where Kendall tells Lawrence, I'm going to give you a deal so good that if you don't take it, we'll see you in court. And I thought it was an interesting parallel to where Logan sees himself now. Mm -hmm. Because that same bullying of, you know what, I have so much money, I can offer you so much per share. Or, you know, give you such an eva evaluation that I, you, you have to take it or you are not being fair to either your investors or shareholders. And that's exactly what Sandy and Stewie are doing to Logan right now. Yeah, putting him in a situation of where... He has a choice between doing what his pride demands and doing what a fiduciary, his fiduciary duties require. And Logan does not like to be in that kind of situation where you have to pick between someone other than himself and his own wishes. I think his quote last episode was, obviously I have a responsibility to the shareholders. Ha ha. <laughs> that was a great summary of Logan as a person right there. 
Yep, so we start with the family at one of the Raystar parks. Spencer, gotta tell you, looks like a pretty shitty park. This does not look like a great park, and for the initial couple minutes of this episode, I was very lost as to what was going on. I caught on eventually, but yeah, this looks like... This does not even look like a park. This looks like something they throw up for a county fair. And I have a theory on that. I think it's because to actually film in, like, say, Disney World or Universal Studios, something like that, would cost so much money. They could never afford it. So this is just, like, kind of a limitation on their budget and the TV medium. Right. Well, imagine this is Busch Gardens. In reality, it is what local park they were able to get permission to film with. Yep. Kendall's daughter comes up and asks him if they could uh, make one of the rides go any faster. Kendall asks a park attendant, and she says, up to a point. Kendall said, let's take it up to that point. Spencer, I believe this is the scene where his daughter tries to hug him. It is. And Kendall is super fucking weird about it. Yeah. She hugs him, and his arms don't move. At all. First of two times in this episode that occurs. It is. And this is one he gets called out on later. Yep. Tom and Shib are walking around. Um, Tom has taken a victory lap about becoming chair of broadcast news for Waystar. He mentions last month he was in a meeting about how to stop kids from giving handy jobs on the ghost train. Uh, and now he's going to be managing a billion-dollar news budget. Shib, I gave my first hand job on the ghost train. <laughs> Information Tom did not want. Question for you, Spencer. You ever heard somebody use the phrase handy jobs? Uh, no. No. Not even... I, I think I maybe have heard it in someone mocking the idea of someone saying it that way, but this is my first time seeing it live. Seems to me like how they talk about, like, sexual acts in the Midwest. Like, oh, it's it's handy. It's nice. <laughs> Everything's it good. It's nice. to it, really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Greg is talking to Connor and Wyla about his living situation. Um, low key here in this scene, Spencer, I don't know if you caught on to it. Wyla and Greg have a little bit of a connection. They're constantly kind of looking at each other for reactions. Wyla's selling Connor out as he's talking. Mm-hmm. And I, she's offering him a place to live with her friend. You know, apparently more in, um, a spore infested hellhole. But, you know, it's a nice offer. Yeah, I think there, I think there's a future here for Wyla and Greg. I don't I don't know. We'll see. You have seasons. been shipping them from the first time they were in a scene together. God, he's electric. Electric chemistry. Uh, <laughs> apparently needs a new place to stay. Wyla says her friend has an open room, is what you just referenced. Um, but she has an issue with spores from mold. I don't know how your lungs are with spores. Hey, Wyla, um, no, no one thinks you're a medical doctor, but I'm going to give mm -hmm. you this little piece of medical advice. No one's mm -hmm. lungs are good with spores. Yeah, yeah. Spores are kind of anti-lung, really. They should not be in the same room with each other. Uh, Greg says he saw a place out in Staten Island, which prompts Tom to jump into the conversation to make fun of him for considering to live in Staten Island. Um, very rich person move. Very man, upper Manhattan, just jackass here. Yeah, could you explain this one to me a little bit? Because I, I have had family that have lived on Long Island. I've kind of roamed around between, but I don't really have an idea into the culture. Is this just basically the idea that Manhattan is the place to be and you actually have to commute in? You are a peasant kind of person? Uh, it's... So I don't know... Uh, most of what I know is through just media and, and watching, you know, things. But I, I believe that the, the the dynamic here is that you live in Manhattan if you're a serious person. If you are, mm -hmm. you're successful, you've done well. If you have to commute in from outside, it's likely because you just haven't done well. And in this family, that they don't want any indication of that anywhere. Also, okay. uh, Staten Island, you know, got a lot of white trash there. I think that ah. it's getting somewhat white trash gentrified, if you will. They're getting pushed out to New Jersey. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it, there's still much more white trash there than, than Manhattan. Uh, as we see over the course of this episode, appearances are everything. And if you don't measure up to their standards, you don't even merit note other than scorn. And here is a, a, 
the back and forth that I could see you having if you were in this family. Connor, have you considered a hotel, Greg, as like nightly? (laughs) (laughs) I can only imagine if some rich person suggested to you that you could live in a hotel, you would just be revolted. Well, confused first, then revolted. Yeah, I mean, it's just something like I wouldn't even consider as a possibility. It would just be as, similar to what Greg is reacting to here. It's just such a foreign language to even ponder. As but like for... nightly? <laughs> <laughs> uh, an aide comes up and says Logan has requested that Roman and Kendall go to a meeting. And he's asked Shib as well. Shib feigns surprise. Uh, doesn't hide it really well. Um, Connor, there they go. Marching off to daddy. Like Russians joining the Brusilov offensive. World War One, Greg. Oh, yeah, 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 right. <laughs> Connor's apparently rather well-read, or at least likes to know about military history, because, yeah, Brusilov Offensive is a little bit obscure, but, yeah, okay, good reference, Connor. I guess, kind of. It was Russia's most successful offensive in the war, so I don't quite get your point, but sure, go on. And Wyla immediately sells Connor out to Greg when he says this. She, like, rolls her eyes and, like, scoffs and looks at Greg. <sighs> yeah, yeah. This is what happens when you you pretend to date a prostitute. <laughs> I mean, at this point, territory. she basically accepted his terms to be exclusive and live with her. That It's not really pretend dating anymore. It's they're dating. It's just there's apparently a surcharge. Yep. Um, into a meeting room, Logan is watching Stewie on one of those finance talk shows, and he's explaining their bear hug of Waystar Royco. Uh, Roman, this fucking guy. Fucking dildo dipped in beard trimmings. He's fucking us on TV. Logan mentions that Pierce put him up to it, or put him on. Uh, Remember that name. Logan, (laughs) great Logan quote here. He is Roman's father. Um, Self-righteous fucking butter wouldn't melt disingenuous Pulitzer pricks. (laughs) You can see a little bit of uh, Logan in each of his children. That one apparently went to Roman. Self-righteous fucking... What does that even mean? Fucking butter wouldn't melt? Uh, well, could it be a reference to... I mean, the last time I think about butter not melting was uh, Connor at the party with the butter being too hard and frozen. But I don't see how that really ties in. I don't either. I think it's just like an old guy thing. Like like mm. like 80 years ago, like it was like, yeah, your butter sucks. <laughs> well, that's cutting to a guy to a core right there. Yeah, it's fucking high crime. Um, mm. Stewie then questions if Logan is fit to run a 21st century media company. Logan asks if Kendall recognizes any of these talking points, and he does. They are from the, quote, playbook. Mm-hmm. Stewie says, Kendall Roy is no longer relevant. Uh, Jerry suggests they stay the course. Don't make any sudden moves. Shib, newly empowered, does not like that plan. Ask if they should uh, all do nothing while Logan sits with his thumb up his ass. Uh, Roman says, hey, Shib. <laughs> Hey, I'm glad you're in this room. What the hell is mm. going on? Um, Jerry again reiterates that she can put a package together, suggests they fire back when they have ammo. Shib, when all the shooting is over, um, she suggests a salty reframe. Quote, this is your standard issue, basic bitch corporate raider versus a fucking legendary force of nature, Hurricane Logan. Logan agrees. He says they should respond today. What do you think about this interaction with, uh, with Shib and the rest of the group? Uh, Shib is very much thinking that she's now you know first in line to the throne and i think she's actively trying to take steps to appear relevant and so i mean i'm curious about your point of view about whether she necessarily just disagrees with jerry or not or just feels like she needs to disagree so that she can offer a contrary view uh i think she does disagree i think she's trying to wield what you know her knowledge of politics to the situation is 
But I think more than anything, she just wanted to be the last one talking. Couldn't have said it better myself. I think it's I think it's both. <clears throat> I think she really does believe this, but I also think that um, she wanted to make her presence known in that meeting. And I work at a, a like a very large billion dollar company, and mm-hmm. there are these people, and Shib is one of them, who every time they're in a meeting feel the need to make everybody in the room know they're in a meeting, and they're my least favorite people to ever invite to any meeting <laughs> because you never know what the fuck they're saying, and if they believe it. Sometimes it just creates unnecessary conflict in the room. And sometimes, I know I'm going to go a little bit of a sidebar here. Sometimes you have executives who will tell you if you were quiet and reasonable in the meeting. I don't know. You should have spoke up in there. Speak up like ship. Just fucking complain. <laughs> disagree with everything. Like, give me a fucking break. But yeah, this is a, this is a real dynamic that happens. I fully believe it. I fully have seen it. And it is frustrating to deal with. Is there somebody that's just caught in the wake of this person that just... Wants the meeting to be about them, whatever it is actually being, to- whatever it is actually about. Yeah. Uh, Logan agreed with uh, with Shib and says Carolina should run the words past Shib, so she's even more interjected into this process. Uh, Logan then questions if Walter screwed him. He's pivoting a little bit in the conversation. Apparently, their revenue projections keep going down. Kendall disagrees. Logan says he thinks they got chiseled. Roman, yeah, me too. Massive fuck up, Ken. Huge, unforgivable. <laughs> and this is Roman doing the same thing that Shiv was doing. It's just hitting. He's now, he views Logan as his immediate. Th- he views Kendall as his immediate threat, and he's doing whatever he can to kneecap him. And Valter is an obvious weakness to hit on. Yeah, Logan says he wants Valter fixed. He dispatches both Kendall and Roman. "Quote: The one who fixes it gets a cookie." This is again <laughs> another example of Logan having an issue, having something he wants fixed. And pit, mm. pitting his two kids or multiple kids, not always two, against each other to kind of see who comes out on top. He's very capitalist in that way. Oh, yeah. And Shiv's biggest mistake, and we'll see it done many times in the course of this episode, is to assume that she's not part of that. Yep. And that's, oh, God, very well said, Spencer, because that's exactly what's going on this entire episode. Oh, hell yeah. And it wouldn't shock you the future episodes in the season. Hmm. Um, Kendall then awkwardly thanks Logan for closing down the park for them. Roman, as they walk away, Roman, quote, Look at you, fucking broken robot. Can't even hug your own kids. Yeah, I saw that prick. <laughs> you know, it's not the funniest line of the episode, but that may get line of the episode for Roman doing a really hell of a let me find the let me find a little chink in your armor and just knife you right through it. Because yeah, that one needs to be called out, because good God, Kendall, are you damaged right now? You can't hug your own fucking kid. Then we get the opening credits. Little bit different opening credits this season. Um, there's one part in it that I wanted to point out. It's not the first time I'll point out something similar to this in an episode. And that is, uh, in this episode. And that is they have like a kind of a flash and a montage of things while the music is playing. One of them is a sort of sideways scrambled television with a ticker blind at the bottom. It only flashes very briefly, but if you pause it, it literally, the, the, the and it's an AT, obviously ATN newscast. Yeah. And it says gender fluid illegals may be entering the country. <laughs> God, I gotta watch those now. Do, do, do they change per episode? I don't know. I just noticed it this time, so we can. Oh, we, can, we gotta check that. I don't think I've ever seen the ATN sort of uh, screen of a newscast before, but we can watch it going forward. But yeah, it's fucking hilarious. Gender okay. fluid illegals may be entering the country. If there was any debate that this is the Fox News stand-in, well, that just hammers that home. Oh yeah, it absolutely is. Uh, cut to Tom and Shib. Tom says goodbye to his dog, who I guess is getting walked by a dog walker. Well, he can't do that himself. That's a that's a that's a you know a working man thing. 
I'll tell you, Spencer, we have seen a lot of examples of frivolous wealth, of just weirdness that this family does because of just how much money they have. You, I've talked about on multiple podcasts, are cheap. This is <laughs> the up, one yes. thing that I think I could see you doing. Of like, <laughs> oh, yeah, could I pay someone to basically take care of my dog for me? Done. Did, did you know what their names were, too? Oh, no. What, what were they? The names of the dogs were Marlin and Mondale. What? God. God. Tom is lame. Um, Tom says he doesn't care if it's incredibly gauche, but he wants to put a big picture of them on their wall. Tom, Shib. Two Saddam? Two Asadi? Mm. <laughs> uh, Shib, not, not listening, just says, how are you? He says, it's fucking great. He's great. Uh, says he's contextualized their arrangement. Quote, if I'm mm. the king and you're the queen, it's okay to fuck the odd peasant because our plan is right on track. So this, to me, is clearly about ATO. And it's Tom continuing to give in the romance of their relationship um, to further his professional interest. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that that is exactly what that is. Where clearly he's not content with this. We saw the last episode that he was very desperately uncomfortable with it. But he's burying that pain again, because that's what Tom does, for the sake of his end goal. And we get clearly laid, laid out this episode what that end goal is. But we'll get to it when, it, when it's spoken directly of. Uh, clearly, this news about ATN has Tom jazzed. He has also had his coffee. Um, <laughs> Tom's feeling himself this morning. He asked Shib if she wants to have a cheeky little breakfast bang. She does not. Spencer, do you watch this show with your girlfriend? Uh, we are. I'm ahead of where she is. She's uh, finishing up season one, so we've not gotten this to this moment yet. I'll pay you fifty bucks to ask her if she wants a cheeky little breakfast bang. Do I have to phrase it like that? Yeah, that's why it's so funny. It's just such a weird thing to say. And it, like, I laugh about it because I'm thinking like, just people in a normal relationship. Like, if you just say that one morning, like, what? What happened? Are you stroking out? What the hell happened? I mean, it's one of those things where if I said that, we wouldn't have sex thereafter because she'd just start laughing so hard. That would just kind of be the day. <laughs> well, you have until she watches this episode to do it. I get 50 bucks in it for you. Um, Dude, you don't have to. You don't have, yeah, I'm down. I will let you know how it goes. <laughs> uh, Tom, uh, I feel so incredibly potent. I think it's the new place. I feel godlike. I'm horny. Everyone looks two feet tall to me. Um, <laughs> Shib just thinks he is just as silly as he is. Mm. Um, and she says, okay, I, I get what you're after here. You, you clearly want to have sex. So uh, we can split early from the event tonight and we'll have a talk. A talk and. The and is important. Oh, she does say the and. She kind of flips her hair. Yeah. Yeah. Cut to Kendall and Roman arriving at Valter. Looks like a absolutely douchey place to work. My God. The big, like, uh, like um, screen. You know, with all the flashing, like, light. It looks like a, like a disco club or something. Like, it looks awful. It, it was really fun this week to read uh, various online media groups to review this episode and every single one of them had to ba basically express that they felt personally attacked by Volter. By oh, what Vol uh, yeah. yeah. Well, Vulture is like, <laughs> they were like, I, they did, they just take the name. Uh, yeah. Buzzfeed of course is up there, but yeah, they, I mean, Vox, these sort of aggregators yeah, and, you know, pushers of quantity instead of quality of content and just clickbait. This is a perfect example of what it is. And it, it just the office place itself made me very uncomfortable. Oh, very much so. It was just screaming hipster. And 
it is clear that Roman is walking through this incapable of taking it seriously. A, he wants to kill it anyway because that hurts Kendall, but he just, he is so far removed from what this is. Yep. Roman, as he's walking through the, the office, the pretend journalists are pretend working. Mm. Roman greets Lawrence, and I gotta tell you, Lawrence is a hard guy to read, but I don't think he hates Roman. I don't think he no. really respects him, but I think personally he finds him just sort of weirdly charming. I think he finds him weirdly charming, but I think a key thing about him is he finds him entirely non-threatening. Yeah, very much. Unlike Kendall. Mm -hmm. uh, Lawrence greets Kendall. I heard you were trying out in a schloss, doing shitty yoga with Hausfrau. Do you know what these two German terms are? Uh, Hausfrau, well, Frau, so housewoman, I guess, something like that. Uh, schloss, no idea. It's just like a country house. Gotcha. Okay. It's, well, it's like, he's kind not of not even the right country. Yeah, he's just sort of flexing that, like he, you know, did like two semesters of like foreign language in college. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting the scene of where Lawrence is just straight going in on Kendall every opportunity that he can, and it is so short-sighted and so petty, and he pays for it. Oh yeah, and I will we'll discuss what to feel about what's going to come later on for Walter, but. Moments like this give it a certain celebratory air to me. Yep. Roman, quote, no, he's back like a pedo on parole. Another great Roman line. Uh, Kendall says that they are casually, you know, just here, fucking feet on the table, whatever the fuck. Um, Lawrence says, well, I'm glad to have you here, um, but I'd like to know who I'm talking to. He questions the whole co-COO thing, because that is weird. Kendall says he it's and Roman... Also Go purposely trying to, he's purposely trying to emphasize the wedge he's already seen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who, who, who's in, in charge here? Uh, Kendall says he and Roman have joint responsibility, but on the same page operationally. I think Kendall's or uh, Lawrence is trying to drive the wedge comes out in this very next line. Roman, I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. Mm -hmm. Kendall kind of dances around the fact that Waystar is in a tricky position right now. Lawrence says, quote, so you're diffusing a bomb you planted. Roman, yeah, see, he gets it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rome. Appreciate you. Very funny. Roman wants to know, uh, or Lawrence wants to know where the concern is coming from. Um, Kendall uh, lies, and Roman immediately jumps in and says it's coming from Logan. And they shouldn't dance around it. Roman, quote, oh, come on. You know how he is. He doesn't get it. He knows a plane out in the Philippines manufacturing Xerox machines. But he's fucking shrewd. Right now, his giant Cyclops eye is looking this way. And he thinks maybe he bought a pile of bullshit. So now I'm here to inquire, the nicest way possible, what the fuck is going on? Roman has moments in meetings where he's very good. That was a very good okay. line because he, he actually yeah. centered the conversation and kind of cut to the heart of it. Yeah, and it, it centers the conversation. It also puts Lawrence on his back foot in a way they kind of need him to be. This it, this kind of brutal honesty was very effective right now. I very much agree. Yeah, and like Lawrence has really never been on his back foot because the only time we've ever seen him is when Kendall or Raystar wants something, Waystar wants something from him. Right. But here it's finally like, hey, we have you. You need to provide some answers. Um, oh, yeah. The, we're aware that a lot of the data we apparently got from you when you were marketing yourself was inaccurate, maybe at best, maybe just outright fraudulent. And, yeah, we own you as much as you want to say that you're the future of our company, and we can end you. So let's go from there. Yeah, Lawrence says their numbers are fine. They were when you bought us. And Kendall says he needs Lawrence to help convince Logan of that. He needs metrics, KPIs, and an office. You know what KPI means? I actually don't. 
Yeah, this is just the difference. I mean, like, uh, I mean, you, you're a very successful lawyer, so I'm not, it's not remotely condescending. It's just the difference between like, like corporate speak because that's key performance indicator, and it's not hella, not too much different than metrics. <laughs> but I don't think that was a mistake in the writing. I think that's the type of fucking atmosphere they're in. Oh yeah, and this is if we want for audience to lay it out. This is the difference between a proper corporation and a law firm. We aspire to be a business. We're not there yet. Yeah, you, you don't have any... Yeah, well, you probably have KPIs. Like it's the fucking sold hours, right? Um, uh, prior, sure, probably. Ask one of the key executives whether they know what a KPI is. We'll see what the response It's <laughs> funny. You mean sold rate? Uh, uh, headlines on the <laughs> monitor in the room. Another fun game. So while Roman is talking in this room, there's a monitor behind him, and it is showing, I think, online advertisements for Volter. Did you catch what any of the, the headlines were? No, give me a couple good ones. Yeah, so there, I got two good ones for you. That I, so he, he, Roman was kind of in front of it. Sometimes it was kind of hard to see exactly what it was. You just caught words. But I was able to get two. And these are apparently articles that were live on Valter. I would assume that day if they're being run. Uh, mm. Meet the world's richest people tracker. Parentheses. He's a surprisingly nice guy. Oh, good God. Next one, my favorite one. Five reasons why drinking milk on the toilet is kind of a game changer. Okay, well, yeah, so this is cracked. This is what this website is. That was now very clear. Appreciate you clarifying. Doesn't it make you hate Walter even more? I, I already hated Walter, but like when I saw that, I was like, oh, okay. Well, and they're also just trash? I, I was going to defend him for the whole bees in the roof thing, because, you know, maybe that could, that's kind of cool. Every, you know, I, 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 I can at least understand that. Uh, but that? So, yeah, not only are you the clickbaity kind of shit, you're just also shit. Yeah, pretty shitty. Cut to Tom and Greg at ATM. Tom is hyping himself up. This is that same morning where he felt potent. Um, he's hyping himself up to do battle with someone named Peach. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a lady named Sid Peach, who is the, the head, apparently, of ATN News. Greg clearly is not in a good headspace here. Um, mm -hmm. Finally, Tom calls it out, and Greg says, being at ATN was the one thing he didn't want to do. Tom asks if he would have preferred he left Greg at Parks says quote it's atn it's logan's g-spot i can finger bang him all night long i'm a direct direct report yeah yeah another stupid shit people say mm. in corporate portion. yeah I'm, I'm three reports away from the ceo <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I would lame. really appreciate if i hear tom not talk about finger banging logan again i do not need that visual he he goes back to that well many times oh yes he does i'd like he to make love with him with my ideas he is really making this as sexual as possible, and I don't want him to keep talking like that. Please stop. That's why Tom is such an interesting character, because he's clearly, he's from the Midwest, and he's somewhat traditional, especially when he talk, you know, he's talking to Shib about the you know, sexual arrangements of their marriage. Um, but just in everyday conversation, like, you couldn't take this guy to, like, a restaurant. Like, you don't know what the hell he's going to say with an earshot of everybody. <laughs> I, unless we're going for the purpose of eating fried songbirds, yeah, I don't think he has an active role I want him to have. Uh, Tom, Greg says working at ATN is against his principles. Tom erupts. Principles? Greg, you don't, don't be an asshole. You don't principles. <laughs> Greg says ATN is a toxic toxic element in the culture. Yet again, another Fox News reference. Mm. Um, Tom asks for an example principle. He's still on the principles. Uh, Greg says he's against racism. Bullshit. I'm against racism. Everyone against racism. What else? Like, don't lie. House words. Fuck off. <laughs> Yeah, these are pretty basic principles I think we all can get behind. And, you know, Tom has no real response to these other than the idea of principles has no role in their business. 
Which yeah, kind I, of is proving his point. So my favorite character is Roman because he just gets more funny lines in than anybody. But the character I want to succeed the most is Greg. I feel really bad for him here. Because what's his alternative? I mean, he's, he's trying to like actually establish himself and make a living. And obviously being in this company is his best chance to do that. Mm-hmm. And now the person he's kind of hitched his horse to is like, hey, let's let's go work at fucking ATN. Like, it's like he has to fucking get up and hate going to work every day. I feel I actually feel bad for the character here. I do. And I, I both feel bad for him and I want him to succeed. And I'm real. I'm continually impressed with him, particularly this episode. I'm going to be real curious to talk about when we get there. But this is a guy who has I'm learning more and more as a real good head on his shoulders and is really capable of succeeding when he's got the opportunity. Absolutely. Uh, Tom tells Greg, and this is something that, you know, Spencer, I, I, you can just tell any underling under you in your professional life forever. I find it so fucking funny. Um, this isn't some Charles Dickens world where you can go around talking about principles. <laughs> <laughs> I love this conversation because this is just, this is everything that Greg just said being proven because you're now basically the head of what he now hates and you're just proving his point. Can you imagine if your boss ever told you this isn't some Charles Dickens world where you can go around talking about principles and <laughs> laugh for a day straight? Um, yeah, uh, Tom is just absurd here. Uh, he mm. says they're all trying to do the right thing, but Greg needs to man the fuck up. Uh, Tom then greets Sid Peach. Uh, she says she's excited to work with him, but hopes there's no weirdness with their fuzzy boundaries. She immediately establishes there's potential conflict here. Mm-hmm. Tom says there won't be. I think he says if you want to go fast, go together. If you want to go slow, go alone. I don't know what the hell the quote is. Something like that. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, e- either way, it's lame. Mm. Um, she says she's excited to... Oh, no. That, I just said that. Uh, Tom says... Um, yeah, he asked if she wants to lead the meeting. Basically, they're going to go yeah. talk to, I guess, some of the, the senior management at ATN. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's really funny here. Fuck no, Tommy. You do it. Tom, you mind if I big ball in there? Fuck no. It's your funeral, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> we get to see a lot. This, is, this, is, this episode's really structured around two people can basically competing for power or jockeying for position, each one actively conspiring to end the other. And this is just our newest example of that. Yeah, well, I'll tell you this about Sid. Um, she's one of the characters, and there's there's a handful, I think, here, that I would not want to be on the other side of the table from. Oh, um, God, no. I think she's yeah. really capable, and she kind of scares the shit out of me. I think she's really capable, and what she has is decades of experience in a cutthroat profession, meaning the number of bodies she's left in her wake is probably astronomical. She's got experience ending people like you. And she straight up says it later on in the episode. So yeah, I don't want to pick a fight with her. I also think she's acutely aware that she is running the part of Waystar that Logan likes the most. That's also the most mm-hmm. profitable. Also, nobody look at this and everybody ponder, but you know, she's a woman in the news industry working under Logan. She gotta have to be cut through it just because of that too. Yeah. You think Logan ever took a pass at her? Seventy-two. I don't have that. <laughs> well, who knows? In seventy-two, he doesn't. Logan doesn't even remember what was happening in seventy-two. It's hard to say. We uh, well, it's hard to know with Logan. We've only really seen one moment of him being that kind of lech when he, you know, grabbed uh, Shiv's hand and directed it to aspects of his anatomy when he was high Ooh, on painkillers. That was really tough. We just don't know whether that is purely the painkillers or that was just exposing something that he's otherwise better at hiding. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. Cut to Shiv and Nate at an event for Gil. Nate is complaining that uh, Gil never saw a draft of a speech that he wrote. Um, 
<laughs> Ship says, yeah, that's because I wrote a better one. He says, what do you mean better? And she says, in that it has the attributes of good rather than the attributes of being shitty. Uh, Nate says he doesn't want her to tell anyone about, quote, a shib, there is no us. Nate says there used to be, and that's the problem because his wife doesn't know. Um, Shib says, uh, says her husband knows, so this is really Nate's problem. Shib is, I think, being a little unreasonable here. I mean, it's not a difficult ask from Nate to just be like, hey, can you keep that quiet? Oh, yeah, and she's also doing this at full volume. Like, he's, you know, he pulled her aside and whispering, there's yep. people walking past, and she's actually speaking louder right now. Yeah, Nate says they had the affair, but they never had the conversation. Good ship quote here. Mean, but good. I'm sorry, Nate. Did you want a conference call to discuss how to tell your wife we fucked? Whew. Again, why is she doing this? Throughout, I, mean, I get why she... I get why she does some scenes later with respect to the political campaign, but why is she doing this now with him? Because she's mean. There, is it purely just to be mean? Is it yeah. purely just to show that she's in charge and she views him as an adversary because she's styling herself as the leader of this campaign? Is that it? Yeah, well, I mean, think about it. Every conversation with Shib, you can pretty much frame around the fact that she, at her core, is a bully. Yeah. She's mean when she doesn't have to be. And she is patronizing when she's trying to be nice to people. Like, she's always being a bully. And I think here she's just, this is just a normal reaction from her. Like, well, my husband knows, so why don't you go fuck yourself? Mm-hmm. I, I definitely think it's an element of that. It seems an undercurrent of her character, as we've discussed both on and off podcasts. She's just the fucking worst. Um, but I do also think that basically she thinks that being close to Gilavis is a position is a way to advance my power in ways I can't even necessarily predict yet, and you are the one I'm competing with that competing for attention with. So I'm going to do what I can to undermine you personally, professionally, and every other way I can, so that I can clear the way for my own aggrandizement. That's yeah, and that kind makes of just sense. what she does. And that makes sense with the start of the conversation because, like, I mean, Nate is high up in the campaign, and the fact that she didn't share the draft of his speech with the candidate would be a problem. I mean, that's not normal. I mean, normally you would take, if senior you know folks on the campaign have competing ideas about the tone of a speech or the specific wording, they present it to the candidate, the candidate decides. You don't decide for the candidate before they even see the options being presented by their senior staff. Right, that's monopolizing access in a way that would not be appropriate in the campaign, particularly one that he's been on and been senior on for a lot longer than she has. Yep. Uh, inside a conference room, Gil is thanking supporters, mentioning his positive polling and offering them pizza. Uh, this pizza looked a little better than the pizza in the last episode, I gotta say. Yeah, it did look a lot better. Uh, apparently, he's maybe not a big pizza guy, given that he described it as gluten and melted cheese. But, you know, at least he's getting good stuff for the staff. I think he's just a nerd. <laughs> sure, we've got evidence of that. Yeah, Shib asked how the conference call went. Uh, I'm assuming this conference call was with either a donor or a set of donors. And Gil said it went great, and they offered him the use of a private jet on the weekends. Jill, uh, Ship says the, the legals are wonky and the optics are shitty, but Gil pushes back, saying he'll be so much fresher. So, Spencer, this is actually something that comes up on a lot of campaigns, and mostly presidential mm -hmm. campaigns, given how much money is involved. Um, you have, especially on the Democratic side, you have these candidates who are like, I'm for the people. <laughs> I'm not wealthy. They're out there on the stage. They're saying, I don't have a bunch of money. And then they're riding around in corporate jets. Yeah. And, you know, it, or, it could be corporate jets or it could be even like a just private individual who owns a plane that's, that's lending it to the campaign. Or the campaign could be so flush they actually are purchasing, you know, time on a private plane. Right now, um, this is not me 
criticizing or endorsing anybody. It's just the fact uh, the Biden campaign um, is spending more money than it's raising. And he mm-hmm. flies everywhere exclusively private. So this type of conversation about should we use a private plane? Does you know how are we getting the plane? So that's the legal implication. Um, how does it look considering our message? But then also our campaign burn rate. How much money do we have? These this is a very real issue that presidential campaigns come up with. I was impressed with the writing. Yeah, it's a good insight into that. Um, I don't really have a clear impression from what we've seen so far how far into the campaign we are. I mean, I thought we were still fairly early, but the passage of time in the show is continually ambiguous. I'm never quite sure how much time we're jumping between episodes. Oh, I think he's still very much in the primary. Otherwise, I mean, the, the you know, just the number of people that would be around him would be way, way more if he was actual general election candidate. I very much agree, which makes the next conversation interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Gil pulls Shib aside. Did you notice he weirdly touched the small of her back when he did that? Yeah, and they focused in on it, too. They zoomed in and followed where his hand went. That, so they wanted us to notice that. That's weird, right? You, would, you wouldn't do that in a workplace, would you? No, no. God, we, we received training on not doing that. Yeah, it's very weird. And it, do, it doesn't seem in keeping with Gil. And so I was kind of wondering, what is the show trying to tell us here? And I think it's that, and it's not going to land with me and you, that they want us to give Shib a little bit of sympathy. Because even with a person like Gil, who doesn't come off like that, these inappropriate things still occur. Hmm. All right. Yeah, I didn't get anything out about that, but but as you said, but I guess but we're not the target for that. Well, no, you hate Shib, so you were you were going to be blind to anything yeah, you're doing to try to sympathize her. No, no, that's what I mean. It's just like I, something you want me to sympathize about Shib with. Good luck there. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, but anyway, PSA for the Mangum Talks TV listeners: uh, If you're a guy, uh, don't touch the small of a woman's back. At work, period. This has been your. This is our new addition to this podcast, Lee, with workplace sexual harassment advice. Yeah, there we go. New segment. <laughs> uh, Gil does have some good news for. Her. He says that he's starting to think about appointments. I guess his numbers in the primary are really good, uh, and specifically chief of staff. And he would like her. Uh, ends it with, "How's that for a carrot?" Uh, uh, she seems pretty torn here. She has a, a, a face that's like she kind of doesn't know what to make of that. I mean, it's a big deal. It's basically. Oh, yeah. I mean, would you, would, you, would you say with some fairness that at least inside of the executive branch, it is the most powerful unelected official in America? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Not with, with no hesitation, I would say that, yes. Yeah. It, it well, is hold on, hold on. We, we, we need to separate the military. But yeah, within... I, I said executive branch. Yeah. yeah, non-military, yeah, sure. Yeah, it, it is an incredibly powerful position. As we, you know, both of us being big fans of West Wing, we see wonderfully set out with Leo McGarry. Um Shiv in that position, I could see how it would appeal to her envy. I question how well she would do in it, but who knows? Uh, So you're saying you don't think Shiv would be a Leo McGarry? (laughs) Dear Christ, no. I mean, I think she, I mean, from a certain perspective, she can be sufficiently cutthroat and she can, she has a reasonable enough head on her shoulders, but I just don't think she has the dedication to manage the basically whole of the West Wing from an administrative standpoint, which is the necessary component of the job. We've seen nothing of her that she has that level of commitment or that level of broad perspective to offer that to the position. And we see in this episode, she's actually not going to be chief of staff, regardless of if Gil gets elected or not. And mm-hmm. to me, uh, we can only speculate, but to me, I think she would flame out pretty quickly. She'd just piss off the wrong person because she's too but, hot-headed. I mean, most chief of staffs, even good chief of staffs, typically don't last beyond two or three years. It is a position you burn out in normally anyway. Yeah. Anyway, cut back to Tom and uh, Sid, and they are walking into her office. She's explaining how 
they quote, shape the debate. Tom has a good quote here. I like how the debate keeps getting shaped, uh, shaped to something that looks like a burning cross. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good line, actually. Yeah. Sid, you don't share our news values? Uh, he says, oh, I'm kidding. I'm from the Midwest. I get it. You know, my mom's friend, Deb, weighs like 300 pounds, and she's pissed at fuck about practically everything. You know, trust me. I get it. I'm down. <laughs> what a wonderful summary of their audience base right there. Yeah, seriously. And she's pissed as fuck about practically everything. That's hilarious. Mm. Um, she, uh, He says that Logan gets what Logan wants, and Sid gets really fired up at this implication. Said Logan does not dictate to them what to run. Bullshit. Um, mm-hmm. And says they serve a demographic of highly intelligent viewers, bullshit, mm-hmm. who are tired of being patronized elsewhere by latte sipping douchebags with $100 haircuts. That Tom, part's true. Tom, in this moment, happens to have a nice high and tight uh, and is sipping a latte. So, <laughs> seems targeted. <aggressive>. Targeted, yes. <laughs> uh, Tom points out that the average age of their viewers is 68 and their share has been halved lately. Maybe he can help with some of that. Sid then gets so condescending and says, he sends me one of you every four years. (laughs) Oh my God, I like her. Uh, Tom asks if these others were Logan's uh, son-in-laws as well, and Sid has really no response to that. Yeah. Uh, Tom says he wants to uh, trim the flab, as he calls it. Uh, He spies savings, and Sid says, well, good, but I run a very tight ship. Uh, She says, Logan must be very excited, and I hope you can deliver. Tom stands up. Oh, well, thank you, and fuck you. I'll catch you later. Sid, not on your dying day, baby. So that didn't go well, Spencer. It Might as well have that conversation early, because that's going to be their relationship for as long as he's here. From her perspective, she's immortal. This is her job. He is merely passing. So she will just endure what he ever has to offer, or directly work to end him. So he's got an adversary to actually stand out in any way in this position and as weird as it sounds spencer we never would have guessed it in season one episode one tom has a secret weapon well main man greg and i I like at this point that tom's default response when he has trouble when tom when he needs something when he doesn't have a clear solution to whatever issues in front of him is greg he is the miracle worker because he immediately storms out of the office uh, walking fast, sipping a lot of latte, saying, Greg, I need you to sniff out the waste among some of the lower-level employees. Mm-hmm. I love how he phrases it, too. I need you to be my representative on Earth. There is an ego on Tom, and it is impressive to see. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Cut to Walter, and Kendall is pouring over documents. Kendall is actually working. And Lawrence instructs someone to drown him in paper. So they're just, again, I don't think Lawrence is on the level here. I think he's just giving him a bunch of crap. Oh, yeah. Do do you think, are Roman uh, Roman and Logan correct, that they straight up lied about their initial financials? That it's not Facebook metrics or anything else like that. They just straight up lied for the purpose of this sale. I think that the type of company that they are, there's an ethos in what they're producing, how they produce it, how they uh, advertise it, and then how they just operate as a business that all to me is probably very consistent. And that is you do what you have to do to get the click, to get the view, to get the deal. Uh, mm-hmm. That's why they generate trash like, hey, just drinking milk on the toilet is a game changer. Why? Because it's so, so fucking crazy that you'll click on it. Is it news? Yep. Hell no, it's not news. It's completely ridiculous. But you, they're going to get clicks from it. And I think when you have a product like that and you sell it the way they do, I don't think it was any stretch for them um, morally uh, to misrepresent you know, their clicks or their you know, views or whatever. 
No, matter of, fact, matter of fact, I think from their perspective, they saw it in some ways as the moral imperative because they looked down on and disdained the person that was going to buy them to that degree. Which, that's the ultimate hypocrisy here, right? Because, I mean, mm-hmm. Waystar, they probably hate Waystar because of ATN. Mm-hmm. But they're producing trash, too. Yeah, they're producing absolute trash. They just would probably gravitate to a more left-of-center mentality and view themselves as a new age, whereas Waystar is, you know, old and doddering. And so they have a fundamentally different cultural outlook. But as you said, it's hypocritical as shit because they're taking their money right now and they're offering the same kind of shit from a different way. Yep. Roman is outside the room and he seems confused as to what <laughs> Kendall is actually doing. Some guy suggests that Kendall is He's reading. working. It's no, new and novel. I know you've not seen this before. Roman tells him to shut up and drink his smoothie, which he actually does. <laughs> so funny. Hmm. Roman then calls Jerry. He asks this her for help figuring out what to do at Walter. Jerry, quote, we are in a proxy war. The plane has been hijacked. All the engines have fallen into the sea and the pilot's hair is on fire. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I'll get through the, this scene, but I want to yeah, get please, your, please. your your thoughts on him calling her. Says, Kendall is doing shit. Jerry suggests that he do shit as well. Roman asks Jerry to come over, that he wants her in the room. She's like, come over. He gets flustered, says, fuck you, and hangs up. Jerry gives him a good old fuck you as well. Roman walks into the hallway, approaches some Walter staff, asks them out for one of those IPAs that looks like runoff at the car wash. What do you think of Roman calling Jerry here and asking her to come over? Very interesting. Very interesting. We've debated before the nature of their relationship and found it at times to be the two of them to have a lot of similarities and even a certain degree of sympathy for each other. We've seen before that Jerry looked legitimately kind of flattered or at least enjoyed to a certain degree when Roman said that she was a stone-cold bitch. Even said, oh, you say the nicest things or something like that. We've seen before that she, in some ways, when her hair is down, when she's dealing with someone that she deems irrelevant, like, say, Tom, that she speaks and acts in a somewhat Roman-similar manner. I think in some ways she, Roman and she, have a certain have-each-other's-back kind of situation going on. They may like each other to a certain degree, business, uh, business-related at least, and are supporting each other. And so, kind of similar to like when Greg was calling his mom, I think this is the direct parallel kind of scene back in season one, Roman now calls, um, out of it. Something like calls Jerry when he doesn't know what to do, when he was looking for looking for advice about the next step. So I, I think that's kind of the situation they got going on, and it's interesting. So I'm curious to see where that goes going forward. If she has his back in that kind of mom supportive kind of way. Yeah, and I mean, I think you know uh, this was the first time that I started thinking, oh, okay, so Roman really looks up to Jerry, and they they kind of have a um, a good good relationship. And then you start seeing little Easter eggs they give you in meetings where they kind of take each other's back. And this comes up a mm-hmm. little bit later in the, the episode, and I'll point it out when it gets there. Um, I would just like to point out that, the, yes, he is calling Jerry in the way that you would call a mother, but there's no way he could call his mother. Can you imagine how that conversation would go? <laughs> Darling, would... I'm busy now. Please shut up. If not far worse. It's just, yeah. I. This is the this is the kind of mother mother supportive figure that he never otherwise had an opportunity to have. And you, I think you previously pointed out that she actually was the godmother at least of Shiv and probably of him too. So this may be the only thing he's ever had as a mother figure in his life. Yep. Uh, Shiv arrives at Logan's apartment. Uh, this is a drop in. Now again, I've been saying on this podcast, I think I could be a very effective son of Logan. Um, I'm going to tell you one of the unwritten rules I would have is no pop ins. This is not a guy who would just like you to just show up and be like, hey, I want to hang out for a little while. 
Yeah, absolutely not. One thing discussed also in the prior scene about uh, Roman taking people out, uh, taking oh, yeah. out the three workers. Um, th- this scene really uh, summarizes in my mind the things that two different people are good at. Of where Kendall, and this is a weird thing to say, kind of sort of responsible adult that he is, who is actually good at the business aspect of his job, is willing to do the legwork, is willing to look at the records, knows what to look for, and is doing that. He's actually working. Roman obviously has either A, no experience of that, and B, is just intellectually or personally not capable of it. This is what he's good at, the associating with other people on a personal level and getting them to drop their barriers and just be honest with him. So he is working. He's just working in the only way he reasonably can. And it does lead to some useful information for him. Well, I think it makes sense, too, because Kendall always viewed himself as someone who potentially could take over the company. I'm not sure Roman ever, until maybe this episode, thought he could. And if that's the mentality they had since a young age, when Kendall went to that MBA program, he was paying attention. He was actually doing his homework, whereas Roman was probably fucking around. And so, yeah, it's a great point. That's the two strengths of the individuals. um, And they're on full display here. Very much so. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, I just wanted to address that. No, very good point. Um, so Chib, in this ill-advised drop-in, um, goes into Logan's apartment, goes into where Logan is sitting, um, and Logan is trying to come up with three independent women to serve on the board. <laughs> I love how boys are just utterly brazen he is about this, too. Black, white, green, pink, a Cambodian landmine victim, if you know any. He also says he wants one to preferably be in a wheelchair. <laughs> So, apparently Jerry has talked with him about optics, and, you know, he's on board. (laughs) Just not very willingly. Doing what he can to make this look good. Uh, Logan asks about Pierce, and Shib pieces together that he is talking about buying a company called PGN, which would be a defense against the takeover. Um, But she calls it chasing the white whale again. Mm -hmm. So, you want to know what Pierce is? Uh, I'm picturing it's in some way a rival media company. Um, is that what it is, or is it something different? It is. And um, I, I, telling you a little bit about what's going to happen in the next couple episodes, but it's, it's not like it's going to ruin anything, because, I mean, it's just context. Um, mm-hmm. it, they're like, they're a media company, a media conglomerate. They also have local TV, local newspapers. But they, um, in Logan's mind, skews more liberal. In their mind, I think they just think that they are more News. honest journalist right and that's why when logan talks about pierce in the first you know one of the first scenes of the episode he works in an insult calling them like pulitzer fucks because mm, they're actually credentialed responsible journalists exactly and i think what he's he's doing here is if he buys pgn that will inflate the size of the company that trying to corral enough shareholders to kick him out would be next one possible so this is a packing scheme, essentially. Pretty much. And apparently hmm. it's not the first time he thought of it, because Shib says that's chasing the white whale again. It also is continuing his dream of being the sole voice providing news in America and the broader world. Because presumably if he buys up this one, it just gives him a further edge to be the monopoly he always wanted to be. Yep. Shib says they should talk. Logan, shall you go or shall I? Not a great start. Hmm. Ship, has, Ship says she has some ideas, but Marsha interrupts. Uh, Logan says Ship was just telling him that Connor moved into a hotel in the city. Marsha, great quote hmm. from your girlfriend here. I saw. He sent me his email. He sent his email bulletin and attached photographs. Uh, all caps in my notes here, Spencer. Of course Connor sends an email bulletin. <laughs> 
I picture Connor having sending it out for a significant period of time. Because Connor is the guy that wants all people to know at all times what he's been up to in the last week or whatever. And maybe does like the three to four hours to craft it, hits the send, and then goes to Wyla and is like, ah, oh, really nailed the, the newsletter this week. Ah, oh, so good. Uh, and, you know, of course, each one of those has an update on where his podcast is, is and is going to be. Oh, yeah, that Napoleonic Complex uh, co- uh, podcast, <laughs> Napoleonic Complex. Look at that little uh, fucking Freudian slip there. It's going to be on the Malcolm <laughs> Talks channel. Look at that. Woo. Mm. Um, quote, uh, this is another going from Marja here. Quote, he rents a room, he rents a woman. <laughs> uh, Logan asked her to go make sure that the Amazon Alexa is turned off. He doesn't want Bezos spying on him. Uh, Mar- Marsha immediately gets that she's being dismissed here, but she does leave. What do we, let's finish off the scene. I want to, want to get your opinions on this. Okay. Ship shuts the door and Logan explains his timeline, which includes London, Berlin, a year alongside him, and a management training program, among other things. Ship, with all the ego in the world, thinks that's too many months to properly train her to take over a company she has no material experience in. Yeah, and this is very similar to the the proposal that he was basically putting out to Kendall. And Kendall, who'd already put in several years anyway, is just like, he's of the view that I want... Assuming this is meant in good faith, rather than as a delaying tactic, this is recognizing that, and I think even straight up says it later on, you have zero experience whatsoever at running a company. Even managing a company. Even being an employee of a company. And you're just expecting, I'm going to bring you on as my, you know, declared heir on day two? Come on, be an adult right now. Yep. He says it's an appropriate amount of months. Shib points out that Roman, who she calls, quote, a toddler with a heart on, is COO. So uh, why should she have to go to a management training program? Logan points out mm. that she's a woman with no experience. Shib flares with anger about the woman part, doesn't address the experience part. Mm-hmm. She complains that it's a three-year timeline. Logan then hilariously says, okay, come in tomorrow. Spend the day with me. <laughs> Calls her bluff there. Of course, Shib can't do that. She hasn't told anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, then Logan, what is it, Shivon? Too slow or too fast because I'm fucking confused. Um, Shiv is really fumbling this conversation. She says mm-hmm. she wants to do this, but it's just about the process. She asks if they can get into it. Logan says, no, I'm busy with the proxy statement. I was here working. You didn't tell me about it. Uh, again, don't drop in on Logan. Ask about tomorrow. Mm. Ship says she'll have to check her schedule. That pisses Logan off. Oh, yeah. Um, and then she leaves. Um, and, you know, I can't get a firm read on Logan here, but I think he's somewhere on the pissed off to um, uneasy, uh, you know, sort of spectrum. I think he's just pissed off that she just showed up. I, th- I think that was his default mindset going in, is that she feels that she's entitled to just walk in. Like, even... Even Kendall, when he was at like at the real high point in the company with Logan being close with him, had to be called to be there. That Logan invited him to come. She's the only one we've seen that just feels that she could just emerge into the room at her leisure. I wonder how much. Well, a lot of that is her ego, and now she thinks she's the heir apparent, so she mm-hmm. somehow has more. No, it's know, in keeping with her. Yeah. Yes, but also like, could it be like only daughter? Like you know, he kind of dotted on her when she was a kid, kind of thing. We've heard that from from uh, both Roman and Kendall before, that she is his favorite. At least they mock her with that, and she just tries to, you know, punch them or laugh it off whenever they say it. Yeah, so that could that could play into it, but I agree it pissed Logan off. But I do think, you know, the way she was very unreceptive to the management training program mm-hmm. makes probably Logan uneasy. If Logan ever, this was ever actually real, or she was ever actually in the running, which it's unclear at this point. Which, yeah, it's still very much in debate. Um 
she also just throws that, that pithy comment as she's leaving. I'll be back to you tomorrow on the names for the board. It's just like he she didn't ask feel, her. She, he did not ask her at all. She was just kind of joking with her about, eh, you know, any women or whatever else. And she's basically now put herself in the role of controlling who's going to be the new board of the company. Uh, she thinks he's going to yeah. get those. He's going to get those fucking names and delete the text. So, okay, dismissing Marsha. Yeah, you know I got to talk about that love of my life that she is. Um, so I'm of two possible minds about it. A, we take it at face value, or B, we buy into my theory that all of this is just Logan manipulating his children. If we take it at face value, it's an unusual dismissal of her, given that she has previously clearly been directly involved with him on all major aspects of the business. Um, it could be. It could be. If that is indeed what he's doing, then it's a very much a recognition that she that she butts heads with Shiv, that she would not approve of it based on what she thinks of Shiv, and so he's cutting her out because Shiv is the future and that's what he's dedicating building towards. That's one way to look at this. The other way to look at this is if you view this as him manipulating all of his children to seduce them into the roles that he wants them to play, this was a very powerful way to show his daughter that... I'm backing you and supporting you because Shiv hates Marsha probably more than Marsha hates Shiv. And they butted heads a lot of the course of the first season. So to have this moment of where Marsha, who probably wouldn't just walk in like this anyway, we've seen before that when Kendall is invited everywhere else, she backs away and steps out because she's much more effective being the person behind the curtain and talking separately with Logan afterwards. For her to walk in like this, unannounced herself anyway and just sit down seems a little bit out of character anyway and for logan to dismiss her like that seems almost more like it's a statement for shiv and you saw the little smile that shiv got on her face when it happened like oh i'm the favorite now so i don't know which one of those it is but i'm leaning more towards logan being the of fuck i assume that he is and this is just another exciting new way of doing it but we'll see which which can you tell me can you participate in this conversation without it being a spoiler? Can I ask? Yeah, of what course, because I would... I can honestly answer the question based on where I was when I watched this. Um, Please tell me, and because I had the same thought. I mean, this this is a pretty powerful scene here um, when when he kicks her out, and so what I thought was going on here is I thought that he is considering ship, mm-hmm. um, but he's by no means made his mind up, and he does not want to fight the battle with Marsha right now mm-hmm. about how he's even considering her or the fact that he's told Shib that it's going to be her. Mm-hmm. So he would rather just not deal with that at the moment. That's kind of what I thought that it was just a kind of way for him to be like, yeah, 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 you go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Me and you were just me and you were on, you know, the page here. It's just me and you ship. When in reality it's, you know what? Kendall's still in the running. Roman's still in the running. Fuck. Jerry might be in the running for all we know. And I don't mm-hmm. want to fight with Marsha about this for the next three years while we figure it out. Right. Okay. It's kind of a nuance of option number one for me. And yeah, I don't know enough yet to know for sure what's going on. But as you said, it's a very interesting and powerful scene. I'll be real curious to see where it goes with. Now, what did you think, though? I mean, you you laid out very well, by the way. Shout out to you. What the potential options are. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning towards option number two. I'm leaning towards everything we see Logan doing with respect to his children is part of a grand manipulation. And this is just a further acting role played in it. Okay, back to Waystar, and Kendall and Roman are briefing Logan on what they found at Valter with Jerry in the room. Shout mm-hmm. out Jerry. Jerry is so in the fucking inner circle, man. Your favorite woman, we understand. I do like Jerry. I'm not, not in love with her like you are, Marsha, but I do respect her. And every once in a while, she has an acid tongue, which I like. 
You'll get there eventually, man. <laughs> Kindle admits that you can't really make sense of a lot of their numbers, so he does cop to that immediately, but it's still a great business. He proposes pumping $50 million into them to make them a more sophisticated organization, specifically around analytics and KPIs, which I would think when you are a traffic-driven organization, the first fucking conversation you should be having about your company is how you're going to gauge success. But, you know, that's just me. Um, how do you make money? Let's start there. Yeah, Jesus, come on, guys. Uh, he proposes, uh, I already said that, uh, he quotes Logan, um, which apparently Logan has said this before, you got a burned turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Logan asks what Roman thinks. Roman says what Kindle's saying sounds good. It sounds almost like a good pitch, but I call bullshit. He says he spent time down there and he just isn't seen. It says they are fake. Quote, fucking beehives, almond milk. Take another week on that report, Matilda. It smells wrong and they are hiding shit. Speaking of hiding shit, I took a couple of their staffers out, got them shit-faced, and apparently they're looking to unionize and fucking soon. Big fucking deal. Logan doesn't like that at all. Mm. Um, Roman goes on that it's not a body pit, whatever the fuck that means. It's a muesli pit. Do you know what he means there? Uh... Not really, no. So I think what he's saying is it's... You ever had muesli? No, I've not, actually. Only okay, so it's heard like, of it. Yeah, it's like a cold, like, kind of oatmeal-type thing with yogurt. It's served a lot in Europe. It's very popular in Europe. But but when you look at it, you can't tell what the fuck it is. It's There's mm. all kinds of crap in it. it. It's, you know, there's yogurt and milk and all kinds of stuff. I think what he's saying is that we can't make heads or tails of what the hell this is. So why are we going to pump money into it? Which is actually a really good point from uh, Roman. You know, that is an interesting, that is an interesting possibility of what he meant. I, I think that if, if that is indeed what he's saying, that is a very astute point on his part. And it kind of matches what he later proposes that they do. It also is a way of dismissing them as being, you know, liberal, hipster, European-leaning culture fucks. And the way that he's Could be. also been framing this conversation to his dad, too. Could be. Uh, and you should have muesli. It's really good. Add it to the list. Um, he suggests they shut the fucker down. Logan, close it. That's chunky. Uh, I honestly think Logan is just hearing both sides here. I think mm-hmm. he doesn't really know enough about Walter. He leaned on Kindle enough during the acquisition. And of course, he got sick. That um, he's just he's just listening. And I, I don't mm-hmm. think he actually walked into this room with an idea of what he's going to do. Jerry immediately starts working on the write down. Uh, this is the point I referenced earlier that when you notice that Roman and Jerry get along, you notice moments like this where Jerry immediately gave credence to this idea from Roman of just shutting it down, which, Mm. you know, she could have reacted as if that was some sort of super extreme, crazy thing. But instead she goes, Oh, well, how would we write that down? That's going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. So she's getting what I'm saying. She's lending his point credence in a way that I'm not sure a lot of other characters would do. Right. She's actively treating it as, okay, let's assess that as a business decision. She's treating it as a legitimate proposition that we now can talk about. She's framing it that way. And as you said, that inner, that allows him to keep talking about it. If she just shut it down quickly, Logan probably just would have shrugged and move on. With this, it's now a subject of legitimate business discussion. Kendall makes the point that closing it now in the middle of a proxy fight will look terrible with Sandy and Stewie's main point to shareholders, which apparently they're taking out full-page newspaper ads, um, is that Logan is pissing away capital. Kendall says it will make them look weak. Roman, counterpoint, says it will make them look ruthless. And he does know what he's talking about. Quote, Dad, what the fuck are we doing? Show me the bloat anywhere else in this company. Where is it? Show me the waste. We're letting these fuckers get away with. Uh, Roman suggests that if they don't shutter it, they gut it. By maintaining the domains, only keeping the profit centers, 
quote, Dad, gut level, this thing isn't coming back. They're assholes. Kendall makes one more pitch. Logan takes a beat and tells Kendall, Roman is right. Tells him to gut it. Then he says he wants Roman on the proxy battle with Jerry. Kendall says he can take care of gutting Walter. Kendall goes to the bathroom, does some coke. Yeah, and this, uh, this is always an effective negotiating tactic that we see Roman do here, of where he starts with the kind of extreme scenario and lets that be discussed and lets it be framed already as being at least worthy of discussion and then offers his own mediating point that, okay, well, actually what we can do is take the actual profitable elements and focus on those. And that wins the day because he's, he's already essentially offered his own compromise to his own point, which Kendall doesn't really respond to. So yeah, credit to Roman here. He actually really does a pretty good job in this discussion. He got some key information that his dad would want to know about, and he argues his point well with Jerry backing him up and maybe also having coached him on some of these points beforehand. Who knows? Yeah, I also just think he's right, because I think when you have these sort of bullshit clickbait companies that come up and get some VC interest, mm-hmm. it, often they they most of their part of their company is not profitable, and they're just they're existing on VC money. Yeah. Eventually, you have to pull the plug on that and just say, okay, well, what actually makes money here? Let's use that and let's toss the other bullshit. Mm -hmm. As said, all the online journalists were dying with scenes like this because that's the threat they live under all the time when they start getting in major corporate capital is that, okay, let's actually make you profitable now. Fuck yeah. Cut to Connor's quote hotel room. Uh, This is clearly a suite in a hotel somewhere. And he's having some sort of gathering. Wyla gives a super awkward speech. She is not good at this sort of like you know, I'm with this successful guy and I have to do these public speaking things because she just ends on a super awkward note and tells them not to worry about the food and drinks because it's on their tab. Great moment from Roman here. Goes up to Connor. Hey, Con, thank you so much for taking care of the sliders and all this shit. Tab. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the champagne. It's very big of you. <laughs> so, yeah, why would he just start getting good at this? Because apparently Connor's backing a play of hers and has moved to New York City and just kind of rented out part of a hotel for the sake of being there so they could run her play together in New York City. Start learning to be a host for these things and being appreciative of Connor for arranging them all. You need to get that down pretty quick. So I am going to tell you what I thought about this when I first watched it. Please. Um, I started to do the math. I was like, wait a second. You live in a hotel room. You're putting on a play. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. running for president. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have an estate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, con, like, settle down, bro. Like, you fucking you drunk guy at the blackjack table. Yeah, and he has no active sources of income at all. He doesn't work. He presumably doesn't have any, anything in the way of major investments other than his stock that he holds in the company, which is not doing that great right now and probably doesn't play a dividend or anything else like that. So... Where is he getting actual liquid cash? I mean, I can't imagine he has too much in the bank, and he seems like, as you said, he's spending it like it's never going to end. I don't know. But Connor does point out that he got a good deal on the place, and it's right around the corner from rehearsals. That's what the point you made. Um, and he says that he needs a place in the city because he's about to open a campaign headquarters. Roman just about chokes on his slider and asks if he was still doing that. Connor, quote, I'm still interested in applying for the job of President of the United States. Well, good for you, Con. Fucking douchiest way to say that. Mm. Roman, great line here. 
do you think that's like a natural progression from never done nothing never to the most important job in the world like maybe you could get a little experience like a cvs something first tabitha yeah or just nick nickel hand jobs under the bridge she's funny they are perfect together and it's weird i didn't think roman would ever find a partner like this but yeah they work off each other well yeah tab i think tab might be pound for pound the funniest person in the show think about how many lines she gets and how many of those lines are like laugh out loud funny Oh, yeah, yeah. She, it, they're conservative with their lines, but when they come out, they are solid. Greg is reporting back to Tom. Greg has astutely noticed that ATN is still paper-based. Shout out, my boy, Greg! Good find, Greg. Good find. You're looking for bloat right there. Gosh, you got fist-pumping Greg here. Mm-hmm. That is so good, so astute. I don't know where he went to school, how he learned this but he immediately picked up on okay if you're still analog you're still paper based you have all this overhead with the cost of the paper with the warehouses but also the additional labor that comes with that because it's not mm-hmm. efficient if you digitize everything you potentially can reduce overhead you still have to pay for servers etc but you can also reduce the labor pool um, and that is what tom is really interested in because he wants skulls as he calls it ask how many skulls he can use uh i can get rid of greg says 30 i don't know 50 and Tom just about pieces pants. He is out of his mind because I think the idea of him being able to go in and tell Sid that he's getting rid of 50 people and he found the bloat where she didn't is just, I mean, that's going to make his year. Yeah. And, you know, really Greg's key thing he's going through here is not really where can we eliminate costs or where can we cut cut jobs. He's also just like, this is what we need to do to be part of the modern era. This is how we get our information out so people can continue to access it at all times, even after it's essentially in storage. This is how we become a modern media company. Now, Tom does not care about any of that shit right now. He's just focused on where he can cut the bloat. But again, this is Greg having foresight, having even knowing to look for this. This is Greg with a vision. As we've talked before about Greg being the ultimate guy on top of the heap after this, but we rarely see someone make just a legitimately good business decision on this show. But here it is. And... I think you're right. I think Greg is aware of that this is an eventuality. They're going to have to do this if they're going to continue to just exist in the modern world. But he also is able to frame it to his boss in a way to get buy-in for his boss about the thing. Yeah. And that's a huge thing, too, is that you, Very you, much so. you're in this big corporate machine and you want to change something. You've got to be able to frame it in a way based on your your, your executive you're dealing with where it lands. And he knows at this moment, he, if he says 30, 50, Tom's in. Be you, be you a major business person or a stand-up comedian, learn how to work your audience. It governs everything. Yeah. Um, Roman and Shiv are looking out on the window to the balcony where Kendall is standing around drinking. Roman says he almost feels sorry for him because um, something about a meeting with Logan. I didn't really catch that. Spencer, did you get that quote? Uh, you just want me to say this out loud, right? Yeah, that'd be it. <laughs> Uh, I almost feel sorry for him, Chip. Oh, yeah? Why? Rowan, just empty the contents of his scrotum at Dad's feet. We're getting Valter. And that, that was what you even, wanted, man? I, I did want that. And that was even too much for Chip. Did you see her kind of like sour face? I'm like, oh, God. Like, <laughs> ugh. Chip? Uh, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say that, yeah, Roman has never has any issue making various sexual remarks around Chip, and they continue before this episode is done. Indeed. Um, should ask if that's a good idea. Uh, Roman, it's a great fucking idea. It's Kendall's baby and now we're going to burn it. Uh, it doesn't seem like Shib likes this move. Uh, Roman then out of fucking nowhere, really shocker for me, invites Shib and Tom over to dinner. Shib, Roman Roy, did you just invite us to dinner? Yeah, fuck, fuck you. Yes, I did. Metro poser bullshit. Napkins, chit chat. Oh, race relations. Kale. 
<laughs> my line of the episode that was so damn funny yeah yeah i i might agree with you here that was that was good ship steps outside to see kendall ship wonders if she could call room service to poke her in the eye uh she's not having a good time uh, she mentions mm. that roman told her about falter kendall makes the point that roman shouldn't be talking to her about that and he really fucking shouldn't yeah big that's a real big deal in an open room he starts talking about that. All it takes is one person passing by to hear that and post it on a message board or something. And that shit gets out. If they're going to gut Valter and have any hope of keeping the profit centers, mm-hmm. they have to keep that shit on the QT. Very, very JV move by Roman. I mean, if, if anyone took their information and uh, sold it to either Lawrence or God help us, Stewie, who knows what they could do with that? Yeah. Uh, Ship says she doesn't like the plan. Trying to suck up to Kendall here a little bit. Kendall on Logan. He sees everything, Ship. Ship, great quote here. You have a hard time finding a happy medium between worshiping him and wanting to kill him. Yeah, it's actually it's a really great line. It is. It's a good call right now from the kind of mindset that uh, Kendall is sleepwalking through right now. Inside, Roman's now talking to Tab about Valter. He seems intimidated that his plan is actually going into motion. Uh, he mentioned something like, they're actually doing a thing I said. Tab, fuck, I think you just did your job. <laughs> Rome, it- I could be right. I may be. Might not be. Tab, you did a thing. Mazel tov. <laughs> it, I, I think he really does appreciate her being a little bit sarcastic with this kind of motive, where he, he is looking for support, and she's providing it. It's like, you did your job, man. I know it's weird for you, but yeah, you did something. It mattered. And he kind of smiles and walks it off after this. I also enjoy the fact that I think Tab has a glass of champagne in her hand 14 hours a day. Yo, yeah, yeah. They, mm-hmm, they, good call right there. Every single time we saw her this episode, she had champagne. Uh, so, you know, shout out her. That's cool. Um, inside, um, Tom is talking to Ship and seems to be pitching a way to get Logan to support him as the next CEO. I think this was when he said something like, I, I want to make love to him with my ideas. Yeah, he's going to lay out his 50 skulls he wants to have eliminated. Uh, yeah, like that's the whole kit and caboodle to run and waste our like 50 people uh mm. ship ship says they should go because they need to talk they get home and ship immediately pours them a rather tall tumbler of whiskey she says that she doesn't know if this is real she doesn't trust logan she kind of like is sputtering and not particularly articulate in this conversation but logan had offered it to her tom tries to be enthusiastic but eventually brings up the plan was for them to work together for him to get the position tom that was the plan Ship keeps dancing around the idea if she actually wants it, which I'm sure Tom sees right through. There's no way that he buys this. That Oh, I don't know. I just I just didn't want it. I don't want it. He knows that. And that's why he's hurt. She says it's just a modification of the plan, Tom. That's quite uh-huh. a big modification. Then ask her to paint the picture for him of how it happened. She said she said yes, quote, as a play. Tom, what's the play? She fumbles out that she thought it would be deleveraging power if she said no. She then again assured him it's not going to happen. Tom, acute, you know, the sort of um, really, really knows Ship. He knows what he should be saying if this is any sort of semblance of a normal relationship. Says it's okay for her to tell him that she wants it. Ship, I mean, you, if I was CEO of Waystar, you're going to be something huge. Tom, like what? Ship, I don't know, honey. We'll figure it out. Tom, yeah, that's for later. He's so deflated when he says that. And Shib jumps his bones. Why? Because the only time she ever seems to really be romantically uh, interested or 
physically attracted to Tom is when she's in a position of power. Yep, when she's in a position of power and he's the most pitiful and broken. That is apparently how their relationship runs. So, what did you think of this? I mean, is uh, this is this shit being a fucking asshole here? Is this a reasonable thing she's telling him as far as, well, what was I, what was I going to say? Say no? I mean, that's not reasonable. Uh, well, here's the thing. He points it out early, but she waited like three weeks to tell him this. And that's one of the big things. Like, if she, you know, in the moment said it, where he offered her the keys to the kingdom, and she says yes, because what can you else say in that moment? That's one thing. But then the fact that she hid it from him is an entirely different element. Also, the fact that she is already making business decisions with respect to this and purposely put him in a thing that she wants to cut off and remove from the company is a whole other thing we have to discuss that she's not pointed out yet, too. Um... Yeah she, yeah, she wants him at ATN, and if she gets her way, she'd dump news, so woof. Yeah, so leaving him even more in the lurch, assuming he's even still with the company at that point. Uh, another thing I just also started to notice with this episode, but has Shiv been very fundamentally changing her attire and appearance as compared to season one? Yeah, she's. I think the wardrobe budget went up. <laughs> because, what? yeah, she's wearing all kinds of crazy shit now. It's not even that. Season one, Shiv was wearing her hair long, was wearing sweaters, was wearing much more casual kind of attire. This, every scene we're seeing her in, she is in a a, um, a dress suit. She's, in, a, she's in, a, in full business attire. She's even cut her hair short and tied it up in a very professional kind of way. It's like she's very much adopted the mindset that I'm now in corporate. I'm now the heir apparent, and I'm adopting the image that I want people to have of me in that role. Could be. Very well could be. Um, but I have listened to podcasts with um, people who know fashion talking about the show, saying that the the, the, the price of some of the outfits that she has on mm-hmm. is just like, I mean, just it's like eight $9,000 fucking suits oh. and shit like that. Yeah. Uh, back at Valter, mm-hmm. uh, Lawrence and Kendall are taking a walk and Lawrence again takes another shot at Kendall. Quote, I hear your brother is running for president. Maybe we should get him in here. He seems like the serious one. Kendall ignores that and says, look, we have a problem. Says Logan wants to shut them down. But he says, don't worry, I can handle my dad. But he thinks that the engagement and bounce stats are so inflated that you can't make heads or tails of their performance, that their KPIs are bullshit, and that Lawrence suckered him in and he bought it. Lawrence then blames Facebook uh, for changing their algorithm. (laughs) Terrible, lame fucking line here from Lawrence. We got face fucked. Mm -hmm. Kendall ignores that and says he can fix it. But no more obfuscation, no more shitty data. He needs to really see what's happening. Lawrence says, okay, but then he takes it another shot at Kendall. Do you like double-crossing your dad? Oh, that's your favorite, isn't it? Kendall, I am of the opinion he can be persuaded he's making a mistake. Kendall begins the walk-off, but he remembers one more thing. Uh, yeah, and they need to cool it with the unionizing. Lawrence, like any boss, was probably like, well, I can't make them do that. That's not how unionizing works uh but kendall says he'd like to talk to everyone to see if he can convince them logan uh so kendall is really good in this scene once we find out later what he's actually doing here uh because when we find out later he's actually aiming to gut the company and needs lawrence to trust him so he can get the actual records that he needs to determine what the profit centers are so we can spin them off and knowing that god he's effective here because you want to believe him even Lawrence wants to believe him, even as he's attacking him with the course of conversation. This Kendall explains that you're screwed. We've got you by the hilt, and I want to help you. I'm the only friend you have. you got to show me everything, because 
everyone else is against you. It's like he, he's doing the good cop, bad cop himself in terms of interrogating the suspect right now. He's doing it very effectively. I also like that he just, we see several times over the course of this, particularly with um, Kendall, that just how well-educated that he is, that he's able to casually drop references to Potemkin villages and make it a very well fit into the conversation. He's also previously done a lot of uh, Greek mythology and everything else, but so that tickled me too. But yeah, this is... We are, we're going to have a hard time before this episode is done assessing whether Kendall is the, is the winner or the ultimate loser of this episode. But in terms of just moving pieces, God, he's effective. He is. He is. He, um, yeah, I mean, we know if you've watched the episode, you should if you're listening to the podcast. He's playing Lawrence here and he plays into a fiddle, does it really well. Uh, and he continues that performance when he goes to an impromptu all hands meeting of the Volter staff. Mm-hmm. Kendall says, Waystar management has been looking at the business. But he believes that Vulture is the future of Waystar. They kind of groan and laugh. And he insists he's telling the truth. You can't, you know, you, you can't just tell me I'm lying about what I believe. I'm just telling you what I believe, basically. Mm-hmm. He gives a shout out to Lawrence. He says, and what Lawrence built, you know, and that's smart to do because they all clearly, I, I don't like Lawrence. I think he's a douche, but I think that they have faith in him. Mm-hmm. He then appeals to them to not unionize. Says that would be the easiest way for them to get through this. We keep it all in house. He says, I'd get you some punchy arbitration, a pay go- bump. I'll get you all the stuff that you want through unionizing, but don't just take the step of unionizing. You'll get everything else. Just trust me. Mm-hmm. Then ask them to give him and Lawrence their best ideas for the businesses. Five, 10, 100, <laughs> anything you got, give it to me. I want to know because by God, I'm your general here and we're going to get through this. This is brilliant. This is brilliant on so many levels. It is brutal. It is cutthroat. But man alive, is Kendall good at his job when he's given the opportunity to do it? Yeah, he really is. Kendall, really good at two things. Gutting companies and doing meth. <laughs> cocaine, too. Don't forget cocaine. Yeah, he's not as good at cocaine. He seems to mess that up. What did uh, his his ex-wife had the thing of, uh, well, you left some coke on like an iPad once? And also left some apparently. Remember, she was brushing some off the uh, his uh, coat lapel too. Right, but when he did meth, I made him Roy the episode. So there's that. <laughs> there's that factor too. But he's at least a connoisseur when it comes to cocaine. He has standards. He's not a run of mill, you know, doing cocaine in the park kind of guy. No, no park coke for him. Cut to Greg. He's looking for an apartment. Typical New York sort of apartment thing here. A lot of probably inside jokes for people who live in Manhattan or or New York. The mezzanine has a bed, but Greg can't stand up in it. Basically, it's like a, he just has to crawl up there and, and lay down. If he sits up in his bed, he's going to hit his head. Greg gets a call and leaves. Kendall is in some empty apartment. It's fucking huge. Uh, huge windows. Looks really nice. And Kendall explains that the developers overestimated demand. And Kendall bought up the empty units. This is one of them. He's waiting on the market to heat up. And until then, Greg can stay there. Spencer! Kendall Roy, what a guy. That, I mean, and Greg, it's really funny, does not believe him at first because he's been so beaten down by Tommy. He just assumes this is a new way to hurt him. Uh, But yeah, this is a really nice, apparently not really loaded gesture. He's just like, okay, Greg, I have a place. I can help you. Here's a place. And I, you know, you own property, so you know this better than I do. I just rent, but... Can you imagine what a place like that in Manhattan would sell for, would freaking rent for? Ah, it's numbers I can't even process. And he's just... Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that is generous, obviously. 
but also you have the added benefit of somebody who's actually just trying to establish themselves financially. You have mm -hmm. taken a mortgage payment or rent payment out of their monthly budget. And that yeah. is huge because now he can pump all that money directly in the savings, that all interest and everything. And he can just get a nest egg so, so much faster. Also, I think in Manhattan, it's going to help him a lot socially to have a place like that because no he wants doubt. to make contacts in other companies. He wants to meet women. He wants to do whatever. Having that pad going to be big for him. So yeah. shout out Kendall. I actually think he just did this to be nice. So plus yeah. one for Kendall. It, it's great. That's a great point to make though. The fact that he can actually host visitors is huge for both his personal and business connections and development. It's a great thing for him. It's an interesting thing with Kendall too. I, I agree. I think he's just doing this to be nice. But the line that he ends with uh, after he does this and Greg bullies and me celebrating is that, well, you know, maybe we can hang out sometime. And it comes across as so pitiful. It's just almost like he did this to be nice, but also did it so he could have a friend. Yeah. And, and he says that night he wants to have a party um, mm -hmm. there, and he's just hoping they could hang out, etc. There is one real super rich guy moment here that I don't know if you caught. He flipped the key to Greg, and this is when Greg finally figured out it was real. And he says, yeah, use this until I get a doorman downstairs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I noticed that. That is super rich guy kind of move. Yep. Ship and Tom arrive for dinner at Roman's place. Oh my oh gosh. God. <laughs> what a tough scene here, Spencer. I'm so interested to hear your thoughts because I will tell the listeners, I had to delay the taping this week for a couple days. I was sick and I scheduled a time with you, which we're doing it now. And you just said, can I just say that Shib is the worst? <laughs> I was watching that scene when I was talking to you. It you was just like, were angry, and you don't usually just fire off those sort of weird, like that, no, like non sequiturs, like not related to anything. And I was like, oh god, he must have seen this fucking scene because yeah. it is horrendous. I, I, I watched it a couple days before, and I written down my notes, and I the scene hurt me. And then I was going through a couple notes that I'd had at work, and I got back to the scene right when we were talking, and I just, it, she's so, oh, she's such a horrible person, and this scene just embodies it i felt so bad for tom over the course of the scene and it only kept getting worse great roman line to start the whole affair off i have an overwhelming urge to knee someone in the vagina or spit on the floor what what, <laughs> what is he talking about <laughs> this is too floor? normal for him he can't he can't do this kind of regular human shit he's got to spit on the floor um Tab says, mm, he's been a little nervous about tonight. Roman, nervous? Come the fuck on. For din-dins with Firecrotch and Normcore? <laughs> <laughs> That's not something you ever saw. call your sister. Uh, okay, you have a sister. Can you lay... No, stop asking here? the question. Stop it. No. I just need to know how appropriate it is on a scale of one to ten. One well, being one appropriate, ten mean you, you would never say it. It's an eleven. We're going to eleven. <laughs> Yeah, Firecrotch is a little rough. Tom clearly didn't like that one. He kind of, the actor was very subtle, but if you, you watch it again, he kind of kind of jerks back and looks at him like, what, what are you doing? Mm. Tab keeps it going and invites them into their room. Tom asks for Diet Coke. Shib, this is the start. Oh, Tom has a cold and wants everyone to know. Tab's continuing her psychological torture of Tom. Suggest they send out for some saline and everybody can watch him do a nasal wash. <laughs> oh, man. Roman pulls Shib aside and says he's got something stronger for her. Spencer, did you catch the whiskey he pitched to her? Japanese. Good call. Uh, did you watch it with the subtitles on? Uh, no, actually. 
Because there's a there, there's a line that I never I, I watched this episode multiple times. I never heard it, but I saw it on the subtitles. He apparently says, "Do you like Japanese whiskey? I've got one that tastes like dragon piss." <laughs> I don't know what that means. I don't either. I'm intrigued. This, but this leaves Tab and Tom in the room Ugh. as a present for us uh, uh, watchers of the show. Tab, you should try swallowing something. One, two, three, four. Like, like honey. honey. <laughs> <laughs> God, that was funny. And Tom is just like, oh God. Like, he's just miserable. Yeah, this is my night going forward. Outside, Roman... Well, also going back to this. He also has to start thinking, like, is this ever going to end with her? Like, is if, is Roman going to marry her? I mean, we're here for, like, a dinner party. Mm-hmm. I might be hearing about this when I'm 60 years old. Yeah. Yeah, might well. If you were in this situation, mm-hmm. would you tell Shib what happened? Uh, ye, hmm. I probably would have felt compelled to tell her immediately after it happened, just out of sheer guilt and confusion about what the nature of our relationship <laughs> is and what that was and everything else. So yeah, it probably would already come out for me. Well, but I mean, right he, now, the, he got the hall pass. I mean, it wasn't like he did anything outside of what she was expecting. He, he got a purposely ambiguous as possible hall pass because she wanted it to be that way. Um, but yeah, if I was in his shoes, even with the nature of what they have and whatever else, I would tell her. Just I'd probably tell her at the friggin' party just because both of them know and it's already awkward as shit. And let's just have everyone know that it happened. Yeah, I would too. And I would, I would take the power away from tabs here. I would get it all up the table. Or from Roman too. He's already bashed him about it as well. Outside, Roman is telling Shib that Kendall has gone rogue, uh, making a bunch of moves over at Walter. Roman is mulling over telling Logan. Ship says, well, if he's gone rogue, he'll eventually blow up in his face. Tom, I love when it blows up in people's faces. My fucking favorite. <laughs> Yet another one. It, 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 yeah, yeah. An interesting line, too, given, you know, the whole rocket explosion and people losing thumbs to, as well. Yeah, pretty tone deaf there from him. Mm. Not, not, not great. Roman suggests that he is the successor as of right now. Yeah, and again, this is Roman when he really should be keeping his damn mouth shut, even if that is absolutely 100% true, because no one else needs to know that right now. Yeah, and I also, I don't think it's true. Like, I, no, he no. seems like he really doesn't have a handle on things. He, Go he's ahead. Been, he is, even more than his other two siblings, a cog in, Lo, in, Roman's, in uh, Logan's mind. <laughs> right, right, right now... Logan pretty much just sees him as a way to as a way to nettle Kendall, as a way to motivate Kendall, or as a way to uh, to uh, work Kendall. He doesn't see him as actually a potential, you know, guy in the running. He's just a tool for the two people he's actually interested in. Yep, and he asks about Tom. Mm-hmm. Should he be worried? And Shib literally laughs at the idea of her husband yeah. running the company. Not just of her husband running the company. She laughs at what is supposed to be their joint plan. Yeah. The, that's like the basis for a lot of their relationship. Tom, Tom has talked about that. That Like, this is part of our partnership. This is part of what we want to do as a married couple. Yeah. This is probably something they've discussed. That they've, you know, assessed and planned out. This is, you know, in his mind, this is our five, ten year plan as a, as a, as a couple. It's part of a, mar- a married relationship. And she just casually laughs it off as this is the most ludicrous thing she's ever heard. God, she sucks. They sit down to dinner. Here's the really rough scene. Roman is just bullying Tom here. 
Um, I posit this is because Roman is a beta and he gets bullied a lot. We saw mm-hmm. Kendall bully him multiple times. And so I think this is his, he sees blood in the water and it's his chance to kind of get a few licks in. Particularly since he sees Tom as an adversary, apparently. He asked how the news is. Tom suggested he might have found a way out. I don't know what that means. Hmm. Do you I know what you mean a, by way out? I think it's in some ways him realizing that news is potentially where people go to die, given what he's now seen from uh, insert name. What's the name of the guy? Uh, Peach. Some, Sid Peach, yep. Sid Peach. Uh, that he's realized now that people just cycle in and cycle out, and so he needs to do something to stand out to essentially grow out of it or continue, continue to progress in the company. And yeah, he's found the means to do that. Roman asks what it is, and Tom says he hasn't even told Logan yet. Roman, a secret. It's fucking exciting. When are you going to tell him? At the sleepover? (laughs) Hmm. Uh, During this scene, I'd like to point out, every time someone hits Tom, Shib enjoys it. Yeah, she does. Very obviously, Tim. Tom finally relents. He says he's thinking of digitizing ATM. Roman, fucking A. Look at the corn feeder. Going all synergies and shit. Roman then asks where he buys his suits. I mean, what's the... Go ahead. I mean, just 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 to assess it in my mind roman pivoting here is because he his initial line of attack didn't work because tom unlike roman ever had an answer and had a good answer had a legitimately effective plan that he was looking to implement and then when that failed roman immediately goes to schoolyard insults and is like you look funny i mean what the fuck man you look like a transformer what's wrong with your body <laughs> And this is when Ship starts jumping in, makes me really, really oh. angry. Ship says, there's nothing wrong with his body, it's just the fucking suits. Shib then, Shib then asks Tom why he's not liking this conversation, saying, hey, look, we've laughed about it before. Roman says, really? And Ship says, yeah, he's thrifty and he has the worst taste in suits. Roman totally has terrible taste. You, you know what you look like? A divorce attorney from the Twin Cities. Shib, at this point now, laughing and just bantering with Roman about you know, a conversation just to insult her husband says it's partly the walk. It's an agricultural walk. Roman and tab laugh. Ship keeps fucking going, starts a story about trying to get his suits tailored and thank the Lord. Tom finally has enough. Hey, ship Roy house words. Fuck off. Ship smiles at that looks at Roman and shrugs. I, you know, I've, there's there's occasionally applaud moments in each episode. This was the one for me because good God did Shiv need to hear that. And good God did Tom need to stand up for himself because this was a conversation that maybe could have started at polite ribbing, but just went cutthroat mean real damn quick. That whole divorce attorney from the Twin Cities, that was a straight up attack at his mom, right? Probably. If Roman even retained the information that his mother's a lawyer. I mean, it certainly came across probably to Tom as a straight-up attack at his family, who he's legitimately proud of, and of his background that he's legitimately proud of. The agricultural walk? What the hell is that? You have it, Spencer. I don't even know exactly what it is, but it sounds like a really mean thing to say about somebody. I actually have no idea what that insult means. I've never heard it before. <laughs> I don't think they know what it means. I don't even find it that funny, to be honest with you, because it's so confusing. Yeah, but it's just, this is such a mean conversation. This is such a horrible series of moments and the fact that shiv throughout all of this is just feeding on it she's eating it up she's having the time of her life as they just run her husband through the mud is just sickening it really is it is and i'll say this that this sort of like banter insulting somebody thing i have done my whole life i enjoy it 
Yeah. It's just fun comedy for me. I, I generally usually don't. I mean, you've seen many times me doing it. You've been the recipient of it. I don't mean it. It's just kind of a fun, kind of like improv-y type thing for me to do. Sure. And I'll tell but, you the moment where she crossed into something that I wouldn't do. Now, first off, I probably would never do it to my wife. I'd just kind of do it to some of you guys. Um, but when he says fuck off, that's the line that you, you, you know, you've crossed a line. Even Mm -hmm. even if your intent was, I'm just trying to have fun and I like this sort of banter. Mm -hmm. And when he says that, instead of looking at him to try to gauge how he's reacting or, or communicate with him in any way, she instead takes a drink, looks at Roman and shrugs like, ah, who gives a fuck? Yeah. That's when it crosses into, you weren't just doing this as some sort of fun, like comedy exercise. You were being mean and now you don't give a fuck that you were being mean. Hi. And what, what, most of our friendships are built around ribbing each other. It's part of the things we have a lot of fun with. But it's a key thing of where it's a question of whether you're laughing along with somebody or you're laughing at them. And you're working the person. You're seeing how they interact to it. If they're laughing with you, if they're commenting or shooting back or they're even making fun of themselves, it's great. It's fun. It's how people interact with each other. If they're doing what Tom's doing and where they're looking down and just looking at their food and just taking it, you're just being an asshole. And when they finally tell you fuck off to just shrug... That's when, to me, it crossed the line, and I was like, I now I don't identify with what she's doing. Yeah. Now, at that point, you're being you're being a bully. That's what you're doing right now. You're failing to treat someone as a, as a fellow human being worthy of respect and worthy of empathy in moments like this. If we're, you know, if they're legitimately hurt by something you said, you say sorry. I'm, I didn't mean. I was just working the conversation. Really sorry. Really sorry. Just, you, you I'm trying to have fun. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's get those fuck Shibroy fucking shirts printed up, and let's start wearing those. <sighs> And we get a couple more interesting scenes from her before it's done, and this is really a Shiv-focused episode, and that's always going to be rough on us. It is, and I'll tell you what I was thinking early on in this season. I won't tell you if I was right or wrong. And it was in part because I heard this from some you know, folks who covered the show, but I also agreed. I felt like they really covered Kindle a lot in the first season. Mm-hmm. And at least at this point, I was thinking, maybe, maybe that's how they do the show, right? Like, now it'll be Shib's season. Mm-hmm. And so it, far, it seems like it is, because you're right. She she gets probably the most screen time. Well, and it's... The, whole, the name of the damn show is Succession. It's all about who's going to inherit the throne. And with Kendall being the one that was originally broached as the most likely, and him and his various shenanigans to put himself in that role, it made sense for him to be the focused. Now, with Shiv being the at least apparent one that's going to take over, it, it makes sense to now frame her as the, the focus of the show. Yeah. So we'll see if that continues. Back at home, Tom says he's going to stay in the guest room, Shib. He says they just got tangled up. She doesn't apologize. Not even once. They got tangled up, Spencer. That's it. They just got tangled up. And then she says, oh, I need you. So, okay. Like, this is still not yet about Tom. still about her. She has a choice to make, either Gil or Dad. Tom, fucking loyal soldier that he is, he participates in this conversation. He points out that Logan may treat Shib the same way he treated Kendall. Tom suggests she keeps her op- options open, keeps the plate spinning in the air. Uh, basically, go into the background on the campaign, Dick Morris style. Spencer, do you know that reference? Uh, he, well, he's a major political consultant. Uh, I know that much about him. Yeah, he was a Republican operative that mm-hmm. assisted Bill Clinton in his re-election efforts, um, completely in secret. So he had secret calls to the White House where he was under pseudonyms and he Hmm. would give him polling and give him advice. And a Clinton campaign paid him, of course. But, you know, you couldn't have Dick Morris, the Republican operative, out, you know, helping the the Democratic president get reelected. So it was all kind of in secret. So it's a great reference because it's like, well, you know, Gil is 
fundamentally opposed to, you know, you're on the, on the other side of the team with your family. So you can kind of go in the background, give him advice. You still have that avenue and then you can pursue Waystar. And this, let, let's assess this, but to me, this sounds like really good advice for her to receive right now. Particularly of course. the framing of, you need to think about this in the sense of what happened to Kendall. And why couldn't that happen to you? I, it, it's something that clearly Shiv's never even considered. And still isn't considering going forward either. Um, but yeah, Tom's being a good partner right now. Being a good, just offering sound advice to Shiv that she immediately ignores in every way that she possibly can. I know, and to do it after that fucking disaster of a dinner party. I mean, Tom, I, I, boy, talk about a whipping boy. He is, it's rough. Kendall mm-hmm. then gets up from it. We, we cut to where Kendall, he's in a, some meeting room. It doesn't look familiar to me. And he's directing movers within some office space. Then in another room, which looks like a kind of a closet, almost like they're, they're moving like computer equipment or servers or something. The next morning, Kendall goes into Valter. Kendall walks in, gets everybody's attention, tells them, yeah, I know you all noticed the servers are down. We're setting up a satellite office on 7th, and you were all dismissed. They don't believe him, but he lets them know he's serious. Everyone is fired. Kendall, mm-hmm. this is the big reveal. Kendall was not going rogue. He was fooling Lawrence into thinking that he was on his side while doing everything he could to effectively gut the company in the most financially advantageous way for Waystar, which seems to have included them not unionizing. Yep. Now I'm going to explain to you the terms of the severance, and I want you to tell me if you think this is reasonable. Go on. Okay. One week of severance per year served. Health benefits until the end of the month. No reimbursement for unused vacation days. It sounds pretty shit to me. It sounds almost like it's intentionally shit. What do you think? It's. I think it's about industry standard. It's not bad, well, actually. Yeah. The one week of severance per year served. I mean, for a, a small company, or for a, a relatively new company like this, they may have made that calculation, right? But if a company like mine, like you'd be paying me 10 weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but do you, I, this is a fun question. Do you know what the severance package at your company is? Because I have a vague idea what mine is because, you know, massive turnover in law practice. Yeah, I, I know generally what it is. It kind of depends. I mean, if it's performance issues, then you usually don't give severance. Um, sometimes if you're an executive, it can be different. Other times, if it's part of a massive layoff, you know, sometimes they'll do things. like I don't know. It, it's all a little bit different. So I don't have like a, a perfect answer for that. But this didn't strike me as particularly terrible. And mm. I thought that was interesting because I was like, I thought he would just come in and fire him and say, you know, Roy House words, fuck right off. That, that is a fair point. It is at least a severance package that they probably were under no obligation to give them under whatever terms of a contract they, they potentially had. It's per, he's purposely presenting it as cold as possible because I think in part he just wants to get this done. I also think it's his like fucking, I just won the championship belt moment. Uh, Lawrence runs in screaming, and this is where, if I was a Volter employee, I'd go, oh, yep. Because <laughs> Lawrence didn't know. This is this is over. I got to get out of here. Asking him why, Kendall says, because my dad told me to. Mm-hmm. Go find some other chicken coop, cunt. And I, again. Kendall Roy! Cheer moment right there. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I've never really liked anybody in this show other than Greg. Mm-hmm. 
but I had so much respect for this move. This was yeah. masterful. I'm going to tell you right now, we're cutting the segment. We're awarding it right now. Give the championship belt this week to Kendall Roy. He is Roy the episode. I'm going to debate that with you, sir. We are going to talk that out. Told the, the reward. Kendall Roy. Kendall Roy. Back at Greg's apartment. Somehow the whole place seems to have gotten fully stocked in a day. <laughs> Yeah, the French people. <laughs> Seriously, that's like, wow, that's just logistically impressive. Mm-hmm. Kendall is clearly drunk here. And I think Kendall's just drunk here. He might have a little coke in him, but he seems just kind of drunk slur- slurring. Uh, Greg suggests moving the party because his lower back is hurting him. <laughs> he's such a, such a he's specific tall. He's such a specific guy, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kendall says no. And Greg says that there are some people humping in his bedroom. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they are. And he's kind of trying to get Kendall, because apparently they're all Kendall's friends, or at least a set group that Kendall was invited over to get them out. Yes, that's a good distinction. Yeah, but uh, Kendall's not interested in that right now, because he's looking for pussy like a fucking techno Gatsby, apparently. (laughs) Isolate that. Please isolate that. (laughs) You're the editor. Do what you want. Yeah. You know how, like, in the the Potter cast that you guys do, the Harry Potter episode, Mangum Reads? They did yeah. the, the intro music of you humming Harry Potter. Yeah, that was the thing. Maybe we can make that. <laughs> You're looking for <laughs> pussy like a techno, <laughs> whatever the hell the line was. Maybe that can be our intro music. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Okay, cut to Gil. He's walking on the street. Someone stops him, shakes his hand, tells him he likes him. Gil says, hey, when the work gets done, we'll get a beer. It's pretty normal, you know, politician interact- interaction. Mm-hmm. Think to an SUV and Shib asks if he wants some gel. Uh, Gil does not like the joke. Suggests that she might live in a bubble where those jokes are okay with your friends and family. She fires back at him. Looks like she's picking a fight here, Spencer. Uh, every one of her lines is purposefully hostile. And she even opens with, how long's it been since you touched a prole? Which, you're already... That's already starting rough. That's not the kind of joke that he and his campaign and what he believes in can appreciate at all. No. Nate, funny line from him. He said, what's wrong? Do you need a banana and a nap? <laughs> Good line. Good line. <laughs> Gil suggests they take up the conversation in private. This is where Shib crosses a line she's never coming back from. Why? You don't want him to know you still have my dad's cock in your mouth? Nate is looking on in horror here. Spencer, have you ever seen someone completely melt down and lose their job in the course of one conversation? No. I have never actually seen that kind of thing. Have you? Actually, Once. I that's that, that, Really? Can you talk about it? No, I can't, but it's so hard to watch. And it wasn't at my my current job. It was when I worked uh, at the North Carolina General Assembly. Gotcha. Oh, my God. It's so... Because you're watching this person, you're like, oh, shit. Like, they're going to get fired here. And that's exactly the look that Nate has on his face. Ship suggests uh, they do things in the... the, She's do things in the background. This is another Dick Morris reference. Uh, Gil says, yeah, we should change things, but we should reassess more comprehensively. Yeah, the fact that she even proposed to Dick Morris after that line, did she actually really want to consider that, or did she just want to make a token reference to what Tom proposed that she'd do? Because how could she realistically think that's even an option anymore? I have no idea. I don't I don't know how you speak to the candidate that way and think you have a role in the campaign any longer. I, I just, whoo, she is off the reservation there. And she also doesn't understand when he says we should reassess more comprehensively what he's referencing, because she says, well, fine, I, I, I'm going to quit or something like that. And Gil says, you just, I just fired you. What are you, you're not paying yeah. any attention. And Shib totally, you know, high school teenager working at the movie theater. You can't fire me because I already quit. She sucks. I mean, I, 
let's debate this now because she's going to call her dead after us and we can talk about some more then. But is this just? Did she get into this car with the intention of ending her role with Gil? Or is this literally just a spur of the moment thing where her pride got up and so she just walked out, like you said, like a high school a high school teenager in a movie theater? I think that she was going, she was looking at the next maybe week of work with Gil and planning to quit at some point. Mm-hmm. And this was, they got in a pithy back and forth and she said, all right, fuck it, I'll just do it now. I don't know that she got in a car thinking that they were going to do that. Mm-hmm. But I think that she was spoiling for a fight with him and the opportunity presented itself. What do you think? God. I, she was definitely spoiling for a fight because the moment she moment she started this conversation with the most hostile possible way she could do it, most purposeful. I want to say something outrageous so you come back and fight me, kind of thing. And what her motivation behind that, I can't say for certain. But it seemed like if she has any clue at all, it was that she got in the mood and decided, well, you know, I wanted to get fired, and this is the moment to do it. And it is just weird to say because. He offered her. He offered her the keys to the kingdom as chief of staff of the United States, and that's too small time for her. Well, there's also still a risk calculation because it's still the primary, right? Like she doesn't know that, and she is being offered CEO. She thinks, mm-hmm. but it's all one we know. Of, but one of those is an offer made by an honest, fair dealer, and the other one's made by her dad. Let's consider that. I'm sure she's still skeptical of Gil. I mean, I, any any fairly successful politician you have to kind of yeah but even if they're even if they're like you know the sort of like like i've been consistent for the past 40 years bernie sanders ilk which i think is what they're going for with gill i still wouldn't assume that if he promised me something in the primary once he swore in he would give it to me i would trust him a lot more than i would trust her dad for that kind of offer i don't think he would straight up lie to me yeah i don't know uh, back at Waystar, Kendall comes in to update his dad. Says Walter is dead. Four hundred and seventy-six off the payroll. Take that for data, Tom. Huh? That's a lot of skulls. You and your right fifty there. skulls. Four seventy-six, baby. He negotiated a break from the release. Hired an editor and five interns for the satellite office, which will continue to deal with food and wet, uh, weed, uh, but is mostly user-generated uploads, picks that sort of shit. Also, he harvested their IP before they left. Uh, not all their ideas. <laughs> I. That was the one that legitimately shocked me. Because when he did, I forgot about the um, give me your 100 ideas thing. When that come back now, I was just mouth open agape like, oh, you evil genius. You yeah. even did that. Yeah, it was it was a tour to fucking force and how he ripped this company up. Uh, and Logan seems pleased. He said, well, you tried to, we'll say you tried to keep it alive. Kendall says, I'm good. I'll wear it. Which I think Logan was very impressed with. Yeah. We, we, we heard, before, I mean, this is like the discussion we saw in the first, in the first episode about uh, the guy they most appreciate is the one that's willing to eat shit for them. And Kendall not only did that, he is, as you said, wearing it right now. And yeah, that's a big deal. And this dad recognizes it. Logan gets a call from ship during this conversation. Mm-hmm. She informs him she told Gil, and she's ready. Logan, that's great. I'll be in touch. Yeah, that's a powerful line right there, too. That, again, that's just further proof in my mind that he's playing games between all these three right now. Roman walks in, seemingly only because he sees Kendall in there, and says, do I need to be yep. in here? Yep, and the answer is no, Roman. Kendall gets to stay. You can fuck off. Yep, Logan informs him that Kendall will be working in his office now. He needs him over... You know, the, the, the takeover with Stewie and whatever. Mm-hmm. Roman pauses. Oh, my God. Biting line here from Logan. What are you waiting for? Kiss? Be gone. Bye-bye. 
<laughs> he also uses the house words, fuck off there. Fuck too, off! Yeah. Roman storms out and yells at somebody in the hallway. <laughs> uh, Roman, uh, Logan tells Kendall he did good to make himself at home. Kendall sits down at the desk and Logan gets to work. Interesting he's going to work out of Logan's office now. Yeah, and then again, this is... Kendall is back with the keys to the kingdom. He is back at his dad's arm. He is in some ways where at least at one time he very much wanted to be. But the look on his face does not scream happiness to me. Does it to you? No, it does not. Uh, it, it looks like he's still really wrapped up in what the events of the end of season one. Pretty psychologically, you know, affected by that. But then also he probably doesn't know what to think of what his father's doing here. He doesn't know if his dad really likes him or not at this point. He, he has enough sense to know that his dad's manipulating him in a way that his two siblings apparently don't. Kendall stops at a bodega for cigarettes. The cashier isn't paying attention and Kendall steals batteries, throws them out immediately outside. End of episode. What do you make of that? Because I had to go back and watch what he did there a couple times to realize what he was just literally shoplifting a pair of batteries to throw them in the trash. What is the what is what is his what is his statement? What is the value of that to him? Why did he choose to do that right then? He feels completely powerless under the grip of his father, and this is a small, simple way for him to, in a fleeting moment, feel some level of power over another person. I absolutely agree, and I think it's all the more tragic that that is apparently the only thing he's capable of doing. That is the measure of individual control he still has. Shoplifting from a a freaking little quick mart. Yep. In New York, they call those bodegas. Um, Yeah, you got it. All right, that's it. That's the recap. Season 2, Episode 2, Valter. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to our segments. We already have one where you want to fight me on, but before we get there, let's do Spencer's relationship advice of the episode. Spencer, I'm going to guess it has something to do with that dinner party that we were at. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go broader. I'm going to go quick because we're actually running pretty long for this episode. We've had a lot of fun talking about it. Um, but yeah, I'd say the overarching thing I'll offer is uh, Spencer's relationship advice about combining Newton's third law of motion with relationships to basically just say a person will continue to act how they previously act until acted upon by an outside force, aka you or something else. Don't assume people will change. Don't assume based on what you need to hear or want to hear that what they're representing to you now and is in any way divorced from any prior history you've had with them. As much as we hope we can change other people, as much as we hope that they will alter to be better people going forward, you never should assume that, nor does it often happen unless some actual outside force acts upon them to require it. People continue in the lanes, particularly when no one ever challenges them about it. So with respect to Logan, with respect to Shiv, as much as people want to hope that what things they're telling them are true, that they're actually regarding them as people that are worthy of respect, that don't need to be lied to or manipulated or directly scorned as part of your own amusement or own day-to-day business... You have no reason to assume that. People are people. They will continue on regardless of what you actually need as a person. And you need to recognize that and find ways to get out of the situations where they're basically existing to abuse you or use you or any other worse thing under the sun. So, seeing it bodied in those two characters this episode made me sick, but that is what they are and that is what they represent. Wow. I thought that segment was about comedy and that was actually a really fucking astute point so shout out to you spencer that was uh, that was like serious and uh something people should take to heart you know occasionally i fall into a charnobyl mindset even on this podcast but yeah <laughs> felt, felt that needed to be said well that was uh yeah anyway people actually listen to that that's that's really nice <laughs> joke joke podcast but i like to be serious every now and then yeah all right roman line of the episode i'm gonna let you award it if you want to 
Uh, well, I'm gonna give you some options, just some ones I wrote down, uh, and I'm. But let's see what we got. Uh, early one that really just tickled me is that this guy fucking dildo dipped in beard drippings. Count on Robin to just describe a person with magical terms. Perfect. Uh, his line that he says to Shiv when she's arranging the dinner party was just, I, I love it. I love it so much. Uh, all right, shut up. Yes, I did. Metro poser bullshit. Napkins and chick tat. Ooh, race relations. Kale. I love how he even pronounces kale. It's perfect. Even his face when he says kale. Uh, <laughs> I like kale. God damn it. Uh, and then two more from the dinner party because Roman is just on fire for this. I have this overwhelming urge to either knee someone in the vagina or spit on the floor. It's just hilarious. It just really embodies what Tabitha points out is just how uncomfortable he is being a normal human being. And then finally, just because it's friggin' weird, nervous, come on, for Dindins with Firecrotch and Normcore, please. Whoever says that about any other person, God help you. Much less their sister. All right, do you want to award it? No, go on, man. It is your segment. Tell us what's the best line, including other ones, because there's other ones. There were some great lines in the episode, too, from him. Fuck you. Yes, I did. Metro poser bullshit. Napkins and chit-chat. No race relations. Kale. I'm going to be thinking that. I'm going to be thinking that whenever I arrange a dinner party in the future. That's going to be with me now. (laughs) (laughs) Very funny. All right. You mentioned we're running long. We are running long. Let's slog it out for a minute or two on Roy the episode. I picked Kendall for all the obvious reasons. He masterfully gutted Walter. He continues to get back into the inner uh, circle of his father, positioning him to potentially be successor. So much so that he's not working out of his dad's own office. Mm-hmm. I also think he got a little bit of personal vengeance on Lawrence for a lying to him and misleading him about the economic state of that company and the product that they were offering as far as traffic views, etc. And, and also for all of the constant unnecessary personal attacks that Lawrence threw his way, mm-hmm. he was able to give him a final fuck you and a send off told him to go find another chicken coop. I liked it. Kendall Roy, my Roy of the episode, Spencer, your rebuttal. I appreciate the opportunity to respond. And let me say just thank you for inviting me to this kind of event and giving me the opportunity to speak to the wonderful people in America in this apparently debate format we're doing right now. Um, for the, for me, I would fully agree with every one of the points you just offered. This is a monstrous success in terms of what Kendall accomplished. But it is not a success for him. This is a success entirely for Logan that he purposely foisted upon Kendall because it is Kendall destroying his own dream. We started this show with Kendall bringing Walter in. This was his entire idea about how you could reform the company and set them for the future. This is his vision for what he personally wanted to offer to Oystar. And Logan is making him kill it. He's he's not even giving him a way of trying to save face about it. He's personally sending him in to wreck everything he brought out. In terms of Kendall getting in and getting a small measure of revenge against Lawrence, against ending the company, these... (laughs) overcoming those kind of petty little comments that were constantly being poised his way, I think in some ways that's just ex- extra salt in the wound. Because now he's able to see through all the bullshit that Volter offered. Now not only is he having to kill his dream, he's seeing all the problems with the dream that he had. He's seeing how he was misled. He was seeing the data that they hid. He's seeing how this legitimately has a lot of problems. It would take a lot of investment to make a profit center rather than something they can bring in and shine the light for where they're going to go. So from both two ways, the fact he's having to destroy everything he hoped for and see all the shit that came with it and is being ordered by his dad to do it against his direct advice is just painful. Generally, he's doing a great job at it, but it isn't his own choice. It isn't his own... It isn't his own will that is now his own. He is being so fully controlled by Logan that he's, at this point, understanding that if Logan says, shoot someone you love, 
Hughes may feel compelled to do it. This is the state he's left in, and I can't call that a victory. In my mind, we see again this episode that Logan is the king of this house with respect to all of his children and all the decisions that they make, and that only continues through. Yeah, I mean, I'll offer a... I mean, I get what you're saying. It, it was painful for Kendall. But I think that Logan was teaching him an important lesson here. And that mm-hmm. is, when you are in an acquisition market like we are, where it is constant, you are going to sometimes not do that well. You're you going to screw something up. And in this point, I, I would argue how much, you know, Kendall actually screwed it up. I don't think we know. We don't have enough mm-hmm. information. But I mean, potentially what Walter did could have been criminal. I mean, they could have misled sure. them in, in a way where Kendall really had no no real way of knowing no, that he was I, being I, lied to. I agree. I agree. And I think that when you say everything he ever wanted, I think Walter was a conduit to what he ever wanted, and that is to run the company. And I think that Logan is teaching him that. He's saying, hey, look, son, sometimes you fuck up. You buy a company that, for whatever reason, it doesn't work out. You got to go kill it. You have to get used to this. And the fact that Logan has tasked him with it personally, mm-hmm. didn't bring Roman along, didn't bring Jerry along, just him, and he knocks it out of the park. I, at this point, and this is not remotely a spoiler for any other episode, I, when I finished watching this episode, I was more confident that Kendall was in the pole position than I had been at any point in the entire series. Now, I am fully with you on that. And I think this, in some ways, and the, the fact that he sent Kendall to do this is a statement of respect that he want, thinks Kendall can A, handle it, and very much does, and that he's the most ideal person for it, and for a variety of personal reasons, too. It all just really, basically our assessment of who wins this episode and our assessment of their relationship is all really about how much can we trust Logan to treat his children actually like humans, worthy of respect, where he actually wants to act as a father figure to raise them to do great things, or just as purely cogs in his machine. And that's a question I think we're going to continue to debate as this show goes on. Yeah, I agree. And that's that's a good distinction i think between our two viewpoints here because i i really thought logan was teaching him a valuable lesson and i think that uh he was also testing him a little bit and kendall prevailed but anyway we know what we can't agree on is that this was a good episode um, mm-hmm. and that greg gets honorable mention again this week you know i also might give it to greg in general because that scene with him covering the whole digital versus analog thing is a legitimate we've not seen greg had the opportunity to be good at his job much yet and that one was the moment that's worth yeah, respect. Could, yeah, a lot of respect. Honorable mention again this week. Thank you, Greg. Mm-hmm. All right, Spencer, anything else you want to cover before we sign off? No, just looking for the next episode. Do you have the title in front of you so I can get excited about it? Oh, no, I don't. I should have had that when we got going here. I've got it. I just looked it up. Uh, it's entitled... God, you, your, Google, your Google trigger is so <laughs> damn fast. How did you do that? You know, this is my job. Google searches all the time, every day. Uh, next episode entitled Hunting. And wow, that could have a lot of meetings. Huh. Oh yeah, I remember that episode. I think you're going to like it. Okay, Spencer, thanks a lot for doing this with me. I'm enjoying Barreling Through Succession Season 2. We'll be back next week for Episode 3 of Season 2, Hunting. And we release these every Sunday, so come back next Sunday. Thanks. See you. <laughs>